Hashem Hashem Nasev and Atzliach, Shir Torah, Baruch Hashem, good to be here. We, Zod Hashem, have a continuation of, thank you, excuse me, Zod. Continuation of last night's Shir, Baruch Hashem, so far, very good feedback on it. A lot of people rediscovering what uh, garbage has been taught to us most of our lives, uh, to, to think that uh, we understand what love really means. And it's so important to understand what love means, because it applies in every aspect of your life. It is one of the driving forces that causes people to do things above and beyond what they would normally do, whether it be loving your spouse, loving your children, loving your job, uh, and most importantly, loving God. So rule number one is to understand what love means. And unfortunately, most of our lives, we have been taught that love is the opposite of what it really is. We thought that love is based on satisfying certain needs. We thought that love is uh, based on things that... You know, that, uh, that are within your control, um, we're taught the wrong thing. We're taught that love is something that's temporary and can go away like a headache. We're taught that you can just acquire it easily. That one day, I see her, ooh, love her, wow, best. I love you, but you don't even know my name yet. I love you already. How? That's what we're taught. From the shtuyot, from the movies from the shows, from the celebrities that get divorced every week. We're taught from these stupid books they, 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 have, they sell millions and millions of copies of. Millions of copies of these stupid books full of lies. Full of lies and toivat Hashem, disgusting abomination. They sell millions of copies to the public. Now if you tell them, listen... Uh, there's a uh, guy that wants to uh, start a, uh, you know, a, uh, a shop in the middle of the mall to murder people. He just wants to start a shop, only 25000 a head. They say, what, well, you crazy? So what's the difference between you and him murdering people, just their bodies, one at a time, and you murdering their neshamot, thousands at a time, every day? What's the difference? And that's the thing, Abotai, it's because the, the problem is, like Rabbi Saimi Salant, said in all Israel and his Talmid Muvak, uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer, Aleim HaShalom, says in the beginning of the book of all Israel, I gave it to some of you guys, the problem is not that we don't have the cure. The problem is that we have the cure. We don't have any doctors. We don't have any doctors. And the patient, the sick patient, doesn't know he's sick. He doesn't know he's sick. If he knew he's sick, if everyone knew really how sick they are spiritually, they would have campaigns and, and, and afganot. What's afganot? Protests. Protests in the middle of the street. We want doctors. They're going to cure us from our spiritual illness. Not just from people with a beard. We want doctors to cure us. We need help. We're sick. We thought that love is dependent on sex, or it's dependent on money, or it's dependent on uh, uh, all these things that are completely as far away as Venus is from here. I'm confused. 
this Mishnah in Avot, Baruch Hashem, is helping us understand what it means. Today's Shiur is part two. Last night's Shiur is part one. Today's Shiur, Be'ezrat Hashem, will cover the signs of real love. What's real love? How do I know I have it? How do I know I don't have it? How do I know what to look for? How do I find it? How do I know I have it? What's the sign? It has to be a sign. It has to be, oh, oh, got it. You know, like some people waste their time. They go on the beach and they look for metal. They look for gold in the middle of the beach. Do, 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 do. Guys, oh, found it. Oh, he found the spoon. Okay, he found the spoon. What can I do? But he's excited for 20 minutes until he got the spoon. We need to know when we found something. What's the sign of fake love? Fake love. How do I know I have fake love? I don't know my fake love is what I have. And that's what I'm looking for. Because that is more dangerous. You can, you can live 70 years in fake love, thinking you have real love. And that, Rabotai Karim, is a tragedy. Tragedy. Just tragic, tragic life. A person works his whole life thinking he has a purpose. Every day he presses the button. Toot. Every day. That's his job. Every day. Toot. What job? Toot. 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 What's the job? Listen, your job is really important. You have to press the button or the whole world is going to explode. Everything depends on you. The guy gives up his family, his kids, his time, his everything. Every day his whole focus, his whole day is focused on pressing the button. All day, he prepares for it mentally, physically, spiritually. He makes sure he doesn't, he doesn't uh, get bored. Ha, ho, ha. And every day, toot, 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 toot. Every day, every day. 70 years, he's pressing the button. After 70 years, you know what the biggest tragedy is? He finds out, after he presses the button, it moves, and he realizes that the button is not even connected to the electricity. He realizes with 100% certainty that he was pressing the button for no reason. Tragedy. Tragedy. No other description other than tragedy. Tragic life. So, Bezat Hashem, today's shiur we have for a refuah shlema to Anat Bat Rachel, Sharon Bat Rivka, Levana Bat Sarah, Sarah Bat Levana, Doris Bat Jora, David Ben Esriah, Dvorah Bat Mercedes, Lisheva Chaya Bat Sara, Jose Avila, Gedalia Garcia, Sara Lea Bat Sara, David Ben Ruth, Michel Ben Sara Lea, Cecilia Esther Bat Yamna. And all of Am Yisrael, Bezat Hashem, have Refuah Shlema, Refuah Nefesh, Refuah Guf. Also, Shaul ben Avner, our dear friend, we have Refuah Shlema, Refuah Nefesh, Refuah Guf. And also, for Atzlacha Rabah, in the Limud, in the Zikwe Rabim, of En Refuah Shlema, to Rabbi Ephraim Kachlon, to Baruch Haim Kalev Tizli, to all of the Mezakeh Rabim in the world, well, Bezat Hashem, the ones that are really looking for Torah Temet, 
like Rav Mizrahi has been doing Shikhir for many years, Baruch Hashem, may he continue having the strength, him and all of the other Mezakei Rabim that are looking for the truth and looking to spread the truth to Am Yisrael, may they have a extraordinary success today and not tomorrow. Because today is when we need it. Tomorrow may be too late. Bezat Hashem, they all have Aslacha Rabbah, lots of Koach, and may Hashem destroy each and every single one of their enemies. In such a way, they will cease from the earth and will give them clear road to do the will of Hashem and sanctify His name. When a person is a sinner, Rabotai Karim, we pray for them to do tshuva. The Gemara in Masechet Brachot tells a story about Rabbi Meir Balanes had a bunch of sinners, a bunch of gangsters bother him every day. And one day, he just had it with these people and he started praying for them to die. And his righteous wife, Bruya, said, Oh, Rebbe, don't you know that you're supposed to hate the sinner, the, the sin, not the sinner? Pray for them to do tshuva. He says, Tzadkami meni, you're right. He prayed for them to do tshuva, and he did tshuva. But that's if a person is a normal, traditional sinner, controlled by the Yetzirah, his sin is his own, his sin influences himself, he has his own ta'ava, he has his own desires, and he sins, whatever that desire is, whether it be for ta'avon, like he wants to be Mechel Shabbat, or he wants to eat pork, or whatever it is. For them we pray. For them we pray every day because we love them, even though they don't even know it. And that's what we do what we do. But for someone that's an enemy of Hashem, for someone that instead of being a Mezakeh Rabim, he's a Machtiya Rabim. Instead of doing Kiruv, he does Rihuk. The opposite. He gets people to become sinners. Either through his business dealings by opening one of these bars or strip clubs or all types of toyevat Hashem, the abominations of Hashem. Or he's a missionary. Or it's women that are intentionally modest knowing that they're causing other men to sin. Not because they don't realize how important modesty is, like we learned from this parashat Balak at the end of the parasha. Hashem nearly kills all of Am Yisrael because of immodesty. Immodesty that led to intermarriage. That nearly led to the destruction of all of Am Yisrael. When someone is a Machtiya Rabim missionary, Machtiya Rabim lying rabbi, if you can call them that, because today rabbi doesn't mean much tells people wrong information on purpose. That makes a mistake like every one of us makes a mistake because we're human. Someone that's a naval birshut Torah, as the Ramban says, that he uses the Torah to manipulate it, to manipulate the laws, that is an enemy of Hashem, that we pray every day on Tfilat Shmona Yisre, three times a day, that if they don't do tshuva immediately, may Hashem destroy them immediately.
No time. No time. No, yeah, maybe one day. No, no, no time. Why? Because every day they exist, they are a danger to themselves and the public. We want them to do tshuva, but we're not willing to take the risk of, of, of them being alive another day, them being alive another week. Why? Because every week they destroy another 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, a thousand neshamot now, unfortunately, many of these clowns have a very, very good cover story. Even better than from Wall Street to the Western Wall. Their story, Rabotai, is that you're supposed to love Hashem like it says in Shema Yisrael. Ve'avta et Hashem Elokecha. Every Jew is supposed to know Shema Yisrael. It's a mitzvah from the Torah. So it says, Ve'avta, love Hashem. That's bigger than anything. Love Hashem. What about fear? Nah, that's, for, that's not for us. Love, love Hashem, love. What's loving Hashem? In your heart. What else does it mean? Love. Do nice things. How do I know what nice things, good things are? Whatever feels good in your heart. Oh, so if it feels good in my heart to steal somebody's wife, that's good? If it feels good in my heart to have a nice juicy pork and cheese sandwich on Yom Kippur, that's good? If it feels good in my heart to make every sin under the sun of Hashem, that's good? Who defines good? Oh, it's, you'll know, you'll know, love Hashem. Don't, don't worry about fearing Hashem. And these people can go through their life with their tzitziot and their hats and their beards and their students walking through life thinking that they're going to Gan Eden. They're completely convinced they're going to Gan Eden. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai calls it Gan Eden Shel Shotim. It's, it's a heaven of drunk people. Meaning they have an illusion of what heaven is. They think heaven is like the Arabs think heaven. You're going to have 70 virgins. And they, they think that there's material in heaven. Like yesterday, every day one of these tragic stories comes to me. Apparently this is my tikkun in this world. At least one of them. Oh Hashem, I have a good load of tikkun. Gives me something to do. Keeps me busy. Lots of avonot Hashem. What can I do? So now, someone told me yesterday that one of their, one of their confidence boosters that they know that they're doing the right thing. Even though it says, not allowed in the Torah. There's a rabbi, a local rabbi, that does it with them also. Now, it's not a rabbi like he just called, no, a rabbi, he has a keilah, here in Florida, he has a keilah, he has people, they come to his bit knesset, and so on, and... He does this thing with them, together. He doesn't feel like it's a uh, conflict. Why? He says, it makes me feel good. I love it. I love it. I love the sin. I love it. It makes me feel good. So it's not a sin. I love it. I enjoy it. It gives me good. It's not a sin. And this poor guy, 
uses this as an assurance that his sin is not a sin at all. It's actually mitzvah. He says, I know what God wants for me. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know, he knows though. I know what God wants for me. And I have all the confidence. Why? He has all these proofs, all of these distorted, perverted proofs. One of them being that there's a local rabbi with a keilah and a following that also does the same sin with him and open. No hiding. It's not like hiding it. It's not like the guy is a sinner, but he hides it. At least he has some busha, he has some embarrassment, so he makes the sin behind closed doors. Or he makes the sin in a different town. No, 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 in open in the public. Public desecration of Hashem that he calls a mitzvah. Under the illusion that it's love. If you enjoy it, you love it, it's allowed. That's, that's, that's what they define it. And this Rabotai is a disaster of disasters that's ruining our world. Now, David Melech asked the Kshem a question. Hashem, why did you make drunk people? For what? What purpose does it serve? Drunk people. Why did you make spiders and why did you make wasps? Hashem says, in your life, you will see why. One day, David Melech, after he became a king already, takes a stroll at night, and the enemy, the Philistines, no relation to the Palestinian terrorists of today, the Philistines, the nation of Goliath, they see him, identify him, and capture him. And they bring him to their king. Now their king, Chazal explains to us, had some serious misfortune. At that very time, where both his wife and his daughter went crazy. Some say that a demon went into them and went and made them go crazy. Crazy. So now, David Melech knew, if he arrives at this place, the king sees him, sees he's King David, he kills him on the spot. There's no like, I'm going to put him in jail, like they do in the, in the uh, Israeli government. The terrorists just killed 30, 40 people, they put him in a Taj Mahal jail so he can eat peanuts and trina. They can have some alak maybe once a week, watching TV and soccer. No, over there, they, they knew if it's an enemy, we killed him. There's no prison. So he knew if he arrives there and they confirm he is King David, that's it, it's the end of his life. So King David has Siat Dishmaya. He gets the idea to pretend like he's drunk, like a crazy person. So now he starts pretending like he's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he starts crazy. So now. To the people that captured him, they don't know anything. They don't care. It's, we know who he is. We caught him. He arrives at the castle. Yeah, yeah how you doing? Yeah, oh, yeah, how are you? What's your name? How are you? And what's your name? How are you? And me? How are you? Me? I'm you. And you? You're me. And how are you? And he's drunk and he can't. He's walking over himself and he keeps falling. And the king over there says, Ine ish mishtagea. 
למה תביאו אותו אליי? חסר משוגעים, אני כי הבאתם את זה להשתגע עליי, אז זה יבוא אל ביתי. So the king says, behold, you see the man's mad, you see the man's a משוגה, he's crazy. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack crazy people that you've brought another one to me? Meaning he has his wife and his daughter that are crazy, he has to deal with. Kaparat Abonot. You bring him another crazy person. Why should this person enter my house? He doesn't, this is not King David. There's no way. This is a crazy person, drunk. It's a homeless guy. And Hashem not only answers David Melech, the answer saves his life. This answer could also save our life. When you start hearing things that make Avodat Hashem, the serving of Hashem, seem easy, you don't need to check in the books. He's a Meshuga. When someone says, all you need to do is it bodedut. Go and talk to Hashem in your own words. What about tefillin? What about Shabbat? What about kosher? What about working on your midot? What about working on your business? What about all that stuff? No, no. It bodedut is everything. Oh, okay. Your meshuga is everything. Your crazy is everything. There's no debate with such people. They're just meshugaim. Just crazy people. When someone tells you, listen, if it makes you feel good to smoke marijuana before you study Torah or before anything... Not for health reasons, because you have cancer, Balminan. No, it makes you feel good. You want to get high. Go, it makes you feel good. It's mitzvah. Go do it. You don't have to check in the books. You can, you should. But you don't have to. Why? It's a meshuga. It's a meshuga. There are certain things, Rabotai, that are black and white. That anyone with just a little bit of Yirat Shemaim, a little bit, just not that much, a little bit of Yirat Shemaim, a little bit of Yirat Shemaim understands where he is and where the king of all kings is and what the king of all kings expects us to do. Immediately knows this doesn't add up. This doesn't add up. It's a meshugah. It doesn't make a long beard, short beard, no beard, yes beard. It doesn't make a... You're meshugah. Why are you bringing this meshugah to your house? Why are you bringing this meshugah to your bet knesset? Why are you bringing this Meshugah into your mind? Why are you listening to the Shurim? Why are you listening? Well, no, he said something that made me feel good. What made you feel good? No, now I like everybody. You're not allowed to like everybody. If he's an enemy of Hashem, you're not allowed to like him. What's the proof? Your own prayer. You pray for him to die. How do you pray for somebody to die and like him at the same time? What, are you demented? Maybe you're the Meshugah too. Avodat Hashem is not easy, Rabotai. It's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be easy. If you're looking for easy, you're looking for the wrong religion. Christianity is easy. You don't have to do anything. Catholicism is easy. You don't have to do anything. All of the falsehood in the world is easy. That's why they convert people in two seconds. Oh, you want to be Christians? Yeah, come, we'll throw some water on you. Eat a cracker that, uh, from 1937 and go. You're good. You're Christian. I don't have to know anything. I don't have to do anything. No, no, no. You're good. You're good. Just believe. What? Some idiot died 2,000 years ago. You're good. 
I don't really believe. That's okay, you'll believe over time. Just take the cracker. Eat the cracker. La Briut. Here, go, enjoy. Here's some water. Go jump in the pool. Makes you... Why are you bringing Meshugayim to your mind, to your life, to your, to your neighborhood? Why? Why are you bringing all these Meshugayim? Why? Rabotai, Avodat Hashem is not easy. The sages explained to us, why did Hashem make Am Yisrael go to Egypt, become slaves? Originally it was supposed to be 400 years, it ended up being 210 years, neither, regardless, difficult. Why send them? They haven't sinned yet. What did they do? What did they do? They haven't done anything yet. Why send them? They can't be kaparat avonot. Can't say, oh no, no, they made sins, so we sent them to Egypt. No, they didn't make any sins yet. He already, why? Because they weren't, didn't exist yet. He told Avraham Avinu, Avraham, by the way, your, your descendants are going to send them to Egypt, they're going to be slaves. But why? They haven't done anything yet. They haven't done anything yet. Why you send them to be slaves? It's like, uh, you hired a new guy, oh, by the way, on uh, Friday, I'm going to dock you, I'm not going to pay you for Friday. Why? Uh, I'm docking you for being late, but, but I wasn't late. I'm docking you anyway. And uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm not paying you. Why? Because you weren't there. But I didn't come yet. It was, it's not yet. It's a weekend. I'm not paying you. Why? I'm fining you. For what? Because maybe you're going to say something. Doesn't make any sense. Why are you sending him to Egypt? It cannot be kapat avonot. It cannot be that he was punishing them. It's not a punishment. So I heard Ravi again say this once. It makes more sense than anything else in the world. Because it agrees with the sages that I read in other places. Hashem Barach created Am Yisrael as Am Oref, a stubborn people that the holy books say was so stubborn, so difficult, so confident, overconfident, that they were unbearable to the people around them. Why wouldn't they be confident? They're related to Yehuda. When he got upset, pieces of metal came out of his chest and he would chew on it and he would roar and destroy buildings. You're not going to be confident? Just knowing the story makes me confident. I'm related to Yehuda. I'm the best. Why? Yehuda is my cousin. You die as my uncle. You die as my brother. What makes you confident? I remember little kids, little kids, anytime somebody did something, hey, don't, don't do that again. I'm going to tell my brother. Who's your brother? Oh, my brother's Amalek. Oh, okay, okay, I'm not going to do it. Well, I was scared of his brother. His brother's Amalek. He's uh, nine feet tall. No, no, I'm not going to do anything. Scared. So imagine, you really believe you're related to Yehuda. Well, it doesn't give you confidence. doesn't make you arrogant. Doesn't give you extra muscles, even though they don't exist. You're a little scrawny, little nothing. Well, I always am related to Yehuda. On top of it, I'm related to Yosef Tzadik. Yosef Tzadik. Hashem called him Tzadik. Does not make you feel like a Tzadik. Makes me feel like a Tzadik. Just knowing that I'm related to you, to Yosef Tzadik. Why? Everybody tells you, listen, I don't keep anything. But my grandfather was a rabbi. My grandfather was a rabbi. My great-grandfather was a rabbi. You know how many books he wrote? Good, he's in Gan Eden. You and Gan though. What's the problem? What makes you think that... But Yitzhara convinces us that the fact that we're related to these tzadikim, these kdoshim, these heroes, makes us better. 
So you know I'm related to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. I'm related to all of them. Doesn't give you confidence? So Am Yisrael was created as an Am Oref, a stubborn, strong people. Made it unbearable. But a nation like that can become extremely holy like their forefathers. That same power gave Avraham the koach, the strength to jump into a fire without knowing whether Hashem is going to save him or not. Why? Just not to go against him. Yeah, but maybe you should just save your life, pretend like you're, uh, you, you worship their false god for five minutes and then go back to worshiping God. No, not even for five seconds. It's worth to die than to go against Hashem for five seconds. Yeah, but nobody else believes it. You're the only one. You have no proof. You have no sources. There's no Torah in science. There's no Mesidat uh, Yesharim. There's no not. There's no proofs of what you're saying. You have no proofs. The whole world is idol worshippers. You're willing to sacrifice your life? Yes. Yitzchak wouldn't have done what he did and tell us, Abba, Abba, make sure you tie me really good. So I don't run away from you because last minute I may get weak. I may get weak and try to run away and I'm stronger than you. I'm, young, I'm younger and stronger than you. I may hit you and then the whole blessing you did to do the uh, slaughtering for Hashem is levatala. You're going to make a sin. So make sure you tie me good with akedah, tie my hands to my legs and everything. So it's a nice clean cut Hashem. You don't, you're not excited about getting slaughtered without being strong. And confident in your connection of Hashem. Any parent that loses a child, unless they're glued to Hashem, it could destroy them both physically and spiritually. When Yaakov found out that his favorite son is gone, and all he has to show is that he has a piece of his clothing that he gave him as a gift with blood on it, and he cannot get over the sorrow, this could have easily destroyed him in every aspect, including spiritually. But it didn't. He still stayed in Eved Hashem. You cannot be like that without being glued to Hashem. But if there's no Torah, if there's no gluedness to this to Hashem, there's no divikut to Hashem, you become a danger to yourself and society. And that's why the biggest enemies of Israel is Israel. Historically speaking, we have been our own biggest enemies. We shouldn't be scared of the Arab terrorists. We shouldn't be scared of the Christians, the, re- the ones that are really Christians, they're not Jews pretending to be Christians. We should be scared of ourselves. This is why Rabotai Karim, Hashem sent us to Mitzrayim. Before we sinned, he said, first and foremost, the holy books say, you have to soften them. Soften this abundance of confidence. Show you who really runs the world. Why? To get you used to your real job in this world. Your real purpose in this world. What is your real purpose in this world? To be Eved Hashem. To be the servant of Hashem. 
like Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, numerous times in the Torah, is called Moshe Avdi. Moses, my servant. What does it mean, Moshe Avdi? Moshe, my servant, my slave. What does it mean, Moshe, my slave, my servant? What does it mean? Well, you can give him a Moshe Tzadik, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Kadosh, Moshe Tzadik Balair. I don't know. There's so many nice names you can give Moshe. Greatest prophet ever. That's what you say to him, Hashem? Moshe, my, my slave, my servant? Doesn't sound so nice. Doesn't sound so nice. You say you love him, but you call him a servant? Doesn't sound so nice. That's because our definition of nice is demented. That's because our definition of nice is demented. It's wrong. Hashem gives Moshe Rabenu the biggest compliment in the entire Torah. He says, Moshe is my servant. What does it mean, Moshe, my servant? Moshe has gone to such a high level of connecting to me, of serving me, he's eliminated his own choice. He's eliminated his own will. He's eliminated his own desire. All he wants is what I want. He has nothing of I want. There's no I want in Moshe. There's no I want. There's no I. What does Hashem want? Yeah, but Moshe, what do you think? What do you think? Moshe, what do you say? What do you say, Hashem? What should we do? What should we do, Hashem? Don't you have a choice? You! Moshe Avdi. What's the significance of being a servant? Why can't he just be a tzaddik? Why can't he be really righteous? Why? Because a servant, Rabotai, if you have a servant, Le'avdil, you have a servant, you're a rich person, you have a servant in your house, one of these live-in slaves, maids, whatever you want to call them, and they live in your house, you pay the money, they send, uh, you know, they, they, they send it to their country if they come from a different country, or usually they're foreigners. No disrespect, it's just a job that most Americans are uh, too arrogant to take. But the point is, they live in your house, you give them a room, and they clean, and they cook, and they do all these wonderful things, and you pay them. Now if the Balabite, the owner of the house, wakes up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and he feels like having coffee, with a little bit of uh, uh, some stuff on top of it, a little ice cream on top maybe, maybe a little nice little cake, fresh made, and maybe some grapes too. Wash them really nice, make sure all of the bacteria they put on it to make it look like it's fresh from the, from the store. And maybe, maybe a few slices of apple, maybe. Maybe some ananas, some uh, pineapple. He wants, looks good. Sounds good, this sir. He wants it at 3.15 in the morning. Now he says to the servant, the slave, the maid, sir, whatever you want to call it. Hey, make me all this stuff. Here's the menu, I want all this stuff. And she says, I'm tired. You're tired? I'll give you something else that rhymes with tired. You're fired. You're tired? You're fired. Why? You're not a real servant. A servant does not say, I'm tired. A servant does not say, it's hard. A servant says, yes sir. Of course. Thank you. For giving me the opportunity to serve you. 
This is our mission in life as Jews, Rabotai Ayakarim. If you're looking for your purpose, this is your purpose in a few minutes. Moshe achieved that purpose. We are supposed to achieve that purpose. At the very least, strive for it. Our whole life, however long it is. And this is the reason why Hashem sent us to Mitzrayim. Why? Go there and learn what it means to be a servant. What it means to be a slave. Why? Because if you're not a slave to Hashem, you're a slave to the goyim. You're a slave to problems. You're a slave to everything else but Hashem. Either way, you're a slave. Either way, you're a slave. Only the one that's a good one for Hashem, you get paid at the end. You get paid for eternity. That's why we went to Egypt all the time. Because we didn't make any sins. But that's the reason we went. To train us to serve Hashem. Now, some people are convinced that they're serving Hashem in the best, most wonderful way by saying, we are serving Hashem through love. We love Him. So, Hashem Barach says to those people, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 16, verse 11, He says, Alem, he tells Jeremiah, Hashem says to the prophet, It's because your forefathers have forsaken me. The word of Hashem, and they followed the gods of others. They became Christians, Catholics, Muslims, Buddhists, Chilonim, secular, Zionists. They went to false gods. They worshipped them. They worshipped their money. They worshipped their jewels. They worshipped their cars. They worshipped their job. They worshipped their sports. They worshipped their rabbi. They worshipped all the wrong things, everything but God. They worshipped them and prostrated themselves before them. But me, they forsook. And my Torah, they did not observe. Now the Midrash Echarabah gives a commentary. We don't understand something here. Why does Hashem say, they forsook me, they left me, and my Torah, they didn't observe? Obviously, it's one and the same thing. If they left Hashem, of course, they didn't observe the Torah. If they left Hashem, what are they going to observe? They're not going to observe the Torah. They actually, the reason why people leave the Torah is because they don't want to listen to Hashem. So Midrash Rabbah says, what is Hashem saying here? Midrash Rabbah says, Alvai oti azvu v'torati shamaru. Alvai means I wish. 
I wish they left me, but observe my Torah. I wish they left me, but observe my Torah. So the Chachamim asked, what do you mean you wish they left you and your Torah? What do you mean you wish? So the first commentary explains, Hashem says, I wish they just left me, but they kept my Torah, because if they keep my Torah, that's their way back home. That's the map back home. If they observe my Torah, eventually they're going to come back to me anyway. The problem is that not only did they leave me, they also left my Torah. So now the Chachamim asked, Rabbi Fahim explains, why do they, why does Hashem says, I wish though, I wish they left me, but keep my Torah. You should say, they left me, but hopefully maybe they'll keep my Torah. Why do you say, I wish? I wish they left. He says, these are the people that live their whole life under the mistaken belief, belief that they actually love Hashem. The mistaken belief that they actually are servants of Hashem, all the while they're simply serving themselves. He says, I wish... They left me and left me with this nonsense that they're saying about me. They love me, they love me, they love me. I wish they stopped with this. Just learn my Torah. Just do what my Torah says. Don't love me anymore. Don't say I love Hashem. Don't say oh, I Don't say anything. Don't say you love me. You have a special friendship with me, a special connection with me. I'm your friend. I'm your buddy. I'm your... Don't say anything. Leave me. Leave me out of it. Just learn my Torah. Just learn my Torah. That's it. I don't need you to love me. Why? Because your love is killing our relationship. It's a fake love. It's a fake love. It's not real love. You love yourself. You love your sins. But you feel bad about them. Because I gave you something called a conscience. So you have to justify it by making your sins into mitzvot. You're making your sins into mitzvot. Instead of focusing on what I said, you're just saying, no, I know what he said. What did he say? I know it. Inside, I know. I have a special Jewish neshama. I know. This is like, the father says, sons, I want coffee. The sons all go, hey, we have a mitzvah to do kibbut avayim. We have a mitzvah to do to honor our father. He asked for coffee. This is a special mitzvah, Rabotai. You have to get psyched up for this. Okay, I bid a hundred dollars to do the mitzvah. hundred dollars to make Abba coffee. Next brother says, hundred, two hundred. Third brother says, three hundred. Fourth brother, five hundred, six hundred, thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand, three thousand, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand. Sold. You want, to, you want the mitzvah that bad? You want to, you want to pay $20,000 to go make Abba coffee? Shrecha. You got it. He goes, thank you. Oh Hashem, I got the mitzvah of making Abba coffee and I want to give the schut and the honor to Abba to make it for himself. <laughs> this is what people do in the Beknesset today. They buy an aliyah, yeah, aliyah, aliyah, and I want to give the schut to you. Do it in the Beknesset, Ashrecha, nice, thank you very much. But don't do it with the rest of the mitzvot of Hashem. 
Don't do it with the rest of mitzvot with your fake love of Hashem. Don't do it with the rest of the mitzvot. Pretend like you're righteous. Pretend like you're uh, talking to Hashem, but you don't even know Alachot Shabbat. You don't know how to basic level midot. Basic level midot you still don't know. Don't pretend. Hashem says, Alvayoti azavu. Leave me. Alvay, I wish you left me. I wish this fake love left. Just learn my Torah. Just learn my Torah. I don't need you to love me. Learn my Torah. Why? You learn my Torah, you'll come back and you'll end up loving me anyway. But if you think that you can start with love, with this fake love, it's a disaster. It's a disaster. It's an imaginary emunah. Imaginary emunah is this itbodidut without mitzvot. This, I call it itbodidut because it's become popular in recent uh, months or years. Every, every second guy is a breast lover going into the middle of the woods to go do itbodidut. Enough, Rabotai. One guy tells me he sells himself as a prostitute, but he does itbodidut and he knows that's what Hashem wants. calls himself religious, it's Yitzitan. Then he asked me, Kvodarav, uh, if I buy this type of uh, uh, this uh, candy bar, it just says kosher, can I assume that it's Chalav Yisrael? You're worried about Chalav Yisrael? Do you know what kind of Gehenom you're going to get for your career that you have? Why? I talk to Hashem. Isn't that important? That's imaginary emunah. It's imaginary righteousness. It's a relationship with Hashem without mitzvot is an imaginary relationship. In reality, it's a, a relationship with yourself and your desires. You just call it Hashem. This is why Hashem says, I wish, I wish they, la- they leave me. This fake emunah. This fake emunah, I wish they left me already. But simply observe my Torah. One time, a rav comes to shul to study at night. Do tikkun chatzot. Usually he expects to do this and there's peace and quiet in the shul in the middle of the night. He goes into the shul and he sees, oh, there's light. Who's in there? He doesn't want to bother anyone that's learning, especially someone's learning in the middle of the night. The Rambam says, if a person understood the significance of learning at night, he would never miss a single night. He would never miss a single night. His entire life. Such is the significance of learning at night. That's where you get your chokhmah, by the way. And he says the only reason we learn in the day is because we're obligated to. But the real chokhmah, you get it learning at night. The real chokhmah, you get it learning at night. Either way, we're obligated to learn morning and night. But the rabbi comes to the shul and he sees his light. And then he hears a voice, Hashem, please, crying voice, crying voice, 
crying bitter tears, Hashem, please give me Ruach HaKodesh. Hashem, please give me Ruach HaKodesh. Hashem, please, over and over and over again, Hashem, please, I beg you, I beg you, please, Hashem, I love you, I love you, Hashem, Ruach HaKodesh, I need it, I want it, I did, oh, ha, ah. he's thinking, the rabbi's thinking, this must be one of the tzaddikim nistarim, this must be my one of the hidden tzaddikim uh, that we didn't know about, who is here in the middle of the night praying to Hashem for Ruach HaKodesh, must mean that he's at a level, like we talked about a few weeks ago, that he's already achieved all the other steps to get Ruach HaKodesh. He's achieved all the other steps, complete tshuva, for this Gilgul, for the previous Gilgul, worked on all of his midot, not materialistic, and so on and so forth. He's asking for Ruach HaKodesh, that means he... Giant! Then he peeks, and what does he see? He sees the city thief. The city, the one that everyone knows, a ganav, thief, criminal, asking for Ruach HaKodesh. Manuval. But he doesn't want to interfere. He waits for him to finish. The guy turns around, got tears on his face. He says, oh, for the Rav, oh, I didn't know you were here. Oh yeah, I didn't know you were here either, but I have to ask you. I, I'm sorry, I couldn't help I couldn't help it, but I overheard you praying to Hashem for Ruach HaKodesh. What's to you and Ruach HaKodesh? Why do you want Ruach HaKodesh? He says, for the Rav, it's simple. I work so hard going into these houses, but I don't really know where anything is. So I have to waste so much time looking in this room, looking in that room, looking in this room, looking in that room. Sometimes I go into the house, they don't have anything. I said, Hashem, give me Ruach HaKodesh, I love you. Give me Ruach HaKodesh, make my job easier so I can steal all the money in five minutes. This is a joke, but it's reality. It's a joke, but it's reality. This is the same thing as all of these people that are sinners in their day-to-day life, but they pretend to be tzaddikim. Why? They go to Biknesset once in a while. They wear tzitzit once in a while. They have a hat, they have a beard, they have a this, they have a that. But knowledge and actual dvekut with a shem? Nothing. doesn't exist. Do you know what it says uh, for Shabbat? Yeah, yeah, I know in my heart. The tibalev. The tibalev, someone's religious in their heart. As soon as they have a heart attack, they're not the tea anymore. They're not religious anymore. There's no different than sometimes you'll hear. There was actually a uh, recording of a famous gangster in Israel. They wiretapped him. The Secret Service in Israel wiretapped this criminal. And uh, it got out to the public. And this gangster got upset at someone and started saying, I swear, in this tzaddik's life, he mentioned some tzaddik's life, I swear in this tzaddik's life, as Hashem is my witness, I'm going to cut him into little pieces, this person. Meaning, he is thinking, I'm going to, not only I'm going to show you what I'm saying, I'm going to swear in the name of a tzaddik so you know for sure that I mean it. I'm going to swear in the name of Hashem so, so you know for sure I mean it. What do you mean? But Hashem doesn't want you to be a murderer. No, no, it's in my... Hashem understands me. Me and Hashem, we understand each other. That's imaginary emunah. That's imaginary connection with Hashem. 
This is a mentality of the terrorists that say, La ilaha illallah. They say, there's no one like Hashem, there's no one greater than Hashem, but yet they go kill His children. This is fake emuna. This is fake belief. This is a fake connection. How do you say you love Hashem, but you're going to go kill His kids? How? Who gave you the right? Did Hashem write in the book, go kill my kids? My firstborn, the ones I love, the ones I created the whole world for, the ones I gave the Torah, you go kill them? When my name, that's why the commentary, the sages explain on the book of Daniel, that when a Mashiach comes, the Arabs that follow this mentality, this perverted mentality, will actually get even a bigger punishment than the Christians. Even though technically, according to numbers, according to history, the Christians were much worse to the Jews over the last 2,000 years than the Muslims. But because of the chutzpah of the Muslims in the, in the end of the days, of how they, they're doing it in the name of God, and not even in the name of an idol like the Christians, Hashem says they'll get a bigger punishment. That was actually one of the secrets that the Prophet Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, the wicked Nebuchadnezzar, that was one of the secrets he told him about his dream. Of what's going to happen at the end of days. This is also no different than the people that call themselves Zionists. They love the country, they love the country, they love the land, they love the country, they love the country. Okay, why are you connected to this country? Well, we're connected to this country because uh, we, uh, it's historical. Historical from when? You can't say historical from 1948 because you already said it was historical before 1948. Yeah, historical from when? Historical, biblical historical. Oh, wait, what's biblical? Oh, it's a Tanakh. One of the former prime ministers brought a Tanakh to the UN, said we have a right to the land. He showed him a Tanakh. Look, it's written in a book. If the Arabs were, had an IQ above five, what they would say to the, to this, to the Zionists? They'd say, listen, this Tanakh that you say is your contract to the land, why don't you say, why don't you do the rest of what it says? Like keep Shabbat, Tarat Mishpacha, kosher, ta- all, all the other things. Why don't you do the rest of it? So all of the people that call themselves lovers of the land, because we have a historical connection to it, they're also full of it. Why? You cannot love the land or the people without loving Hashem as well, and the real Hashem, by fulfilling His mitzvot. You cannot love Hashem and go against them at the same time. You cannot love Hashem or His people or His land and go against them at the same time. And this is why the prophet Jeremiah tells us that Hashem says to Am Yisrael, Alvai oti azavu I wish they left me and kept my Torah. Why? I don't need this fake love. I just need you to follow my Torah. That's all I want you to do. I don't need your fake love. I don't need you to tell me you love me. I don't need you to tell me you connect to me. I don't need you to talk to me in the middle of the night. I just need you to study Torah. Go study Torah in the middle of the night. Don't talk to me. If you study Torah also, then you can talk to me. Why? Because then we have something to talk about. Then we have something to talk about. But if you didn't study Torah, what are you going to talk to me about? What do you know about me if you didn't study my Torah? What do you know? Oh, you, want, you, want, you know you want stuff for me? What, my Santa Claus? 
What am I, a vending machine? You've turned God to a vending machine? You put a few quarters, you get a chocolate? You think that's what God is? You met tumtam? This fake love. So it's time, Rabotai, we understood what love really is. Because that is what this Mishnah is. That's what this parasha is. Any love that depends on a specific cause, when that cause is gone, the love is gone. If you love Hashem because He gives you stuff, you don't love Hashem, you love yourself. If you love your wife because she gives you stuff, you don't love your wife, you love yourself. If you love your husband because they give you, He gives you stuff, you don't love your husband. You love the stuff. You love yourself. Be cheaper for him to just give you a Mercedes and go marry the Mercedes. But if it does not depend on a specific cause, if this love does not depend on a specific cause, then it will never cease. Why will it never cease? Because it cannot cease. It becomes you. You cannot cease. You are a part of Hashem Barach Himself. He put a part of Himself into you. That is eternal. If you protect that part, you become eternal. If you don't, and you desecrate it, you risk Him taking His part back and destroying what's left. Hashem Yerachem. There is such a thing as a Jew that does not have a share in the world to come. Unlike what most people believe, not all of Am Yisrael have a share in the world to come. That Mishnah in Masechet Sanhedrin that says, Kol Yisrael chelek that all of Am Yisrael have a share in the world to come, uses a verse, kulam tzadikim. The prophet Isaiah says, who, has, who is he referring to as Kol Yisrael? All of Yisrael have a share of the world to come. Ve'amech kulam tzadikim, the ones that are tzadikim. Not kol Israel, like our definition of kol Israel, like every person that's an Israeli, every person that's a Jew because his mom gave birth. Ve'amech kulam tzadikim, meaning, Prophet Isaiah says, if you're part of the tzadikim, then it refers to you. If you're not, you have no connection to Am Israel. And that's why the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin continues to give commentary on that verse and explains over 10 dapim. 10 dapim is an enormous amount to spend on one sugiya, on one issue, on one verse. An enormous amount. If you're talking, let's say, art scroll language, because each daf is maybe 10, 12 pages, you're talking about, you know, 100 pages, 100 pages, on this sugiya, on this issue, explaining to you that it doesn't mean what most people think it is. It doesn't mean that every Jew has olam haba. It gives you the rest. The Mishnah tells you, and these are the ones that do not have a share on the world to come. Who? It gives you all the different sins that makes a person lose olam haba. So now, we went over yesterday about those that 
turned Hashem into a vending machine. Hashem Yerachem. That if they get stuff, they love Him. Chazal teaches us here that love is fake. It won't last. It won't last because it's dependent on stuff. So as soon as the stuff is gone, so is your relationship with God. It's not a big secret that the most religious people in the world are usually poor. Quite frankly, in every religion. In every religion. Why? One of the benefits of being poor is you're no longer materialistic. You don't have that luxury. You don't have that ability. Why? You're just trying to survive. You're just trying to survive. This does not mean that material is bad in itself. You could do a lot of good things with it. But it's a much bigger test. It's a much bigger test. Wealth is a much bigger test than poverty. It's much easier to be righteous and poor than rich and righteous. So the Mishnah continues, and if if it does not depend on a specific cause, there's no cause, there's no money involved, there's no kavod involved, it will never cease. The Rambam and Rav say a relationship that does not depend on material benefits such as wealth or beauty, but instead is an unselfish attachment based on mutual respect and concern will endure. For example... The Sefer Musa says the love of a disciple for his master or the love of a scholar or a simple to study never vanishes. We went over this last night. So the Tana Devei Eliyahu, Eliyahu Navi, Eliyahu Navi Rabbah 28, which I brought with me, says this is how Hashem defines the love between him and the Avot HaKdoshim. The Avot HaKdoshim Hashem says He loves them. And the Yawanavi gives an example. Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov for God. And God saying that He loves them. He loves their children, He loves their grandchildren, He loves all of the generations after. Because of the Mesirut Nefesh, the self-sacrifice that Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov made for Hashem, Hashem has this unconditional love for Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, saying in Tana Eliyahu here, your beloved, the children of your beloved, the offspring of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, who fulfilled your will, as set down in the Torah. Why did he love Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? He specifically says, Eliyahu Navi specifically says, because they fulfilled... Your will, Hashem's will, how do we know His will? As it's set down in the Torah. Your will was determined based on what is written in the Torah. Not based on what they thought. Not based on what they thought. Now, in this week's parasha, in this week's parasha, we have an example of the opposite. Bilam, the Yawanavi says, Bilam, should have warned Balak. Bilam was the prophet of the Goyim, was given a power beyond Moshe Rabbeinu. 
That's why it says, "Lo kam beIsrael kemoshe." No other prophet in Israel was like Moshe, but in other nations there was who Bilam. So Bilam, when Balak sends people to him and says, "Come on, as this nation, the Jews, they're an enemy. Want to kill them? I know you have the power to curse them." So Bilam should have said to Balak. Don't you know that dreadful disasters befall those who wage war against Israel? Don't you know? Surely you will be wiped off the face of the earth by going against Israel. Like why on? Why would you ever go against Israel? You're asking me to help you. Yes, I'm connected to God, the same God they have, and that gives me. The full knowledge and clarity, and no doubt whatsoever, that that's his firstborn. That Am Yisrael is the reason for existence here, and anyone that went against them is going to be destroyed. Why would you want? Why would you want me to be a partner? That's what he was supposed to say, but instead, he didn't. What did he say? He said, "Shem, the son of Noah, rebuked the people for four hundred years." But they did not heed his warnings. Shem, the son of Noah, which is where Am Yisrael comes from, rebuked the people. Do tshuva, do tshuva, do tshuva. I was alive during the Dor Mabul. I saw Shem destroy all the wicked. Only me, my couple of brothers, and my parents lived. I'm here. I'm a witness. Four hundred years. Four hundred years. He told the people in the world, "Do tshuva. Don't mess with Hashem. He's not your friend." Don't give him this fake love. They didn't listen. After Shem, Bilam says, after Shem, the prophets of the nations included Eliphaz Temani, Bildad Ashuchi, Tsofar Anamasi, Ichu Ben Berachel Abuzi, Iyov, Job, the prophet Job of the land of Uts, my father, Bilam's father, the uh, Beor. That's why it says Bilam ben Beor, and myself. All of us were the prophets after Shem. Meaning, instead of saying, "Don't go against others," said he's putting himself in the same level as everyone else. No, no, I know what God wants. I know what God wants. What did the forefathers of Israel do? Each man built an altar. And offered one bull and one ram three times a year. I know what God wants. How do I know? I'm a prophet, like Shem was. I'm a prophet, like Yov. I'm a prophet, like all these other. All prophet also. So I know what He wants, and I know all the prophets before us. They made a korban. They made a sacrifice for Hashem, and they brought one bull and one ram three times a year. So I know what God wants. So what I'm going to do? I have a way for Balak to win. How? He says I want to build seven altars for me here to prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. He says if the righteous prophets before me, including Shem, that survived the flood, one of few people that survived the flood, Hashem started the whole world again with him. Amisai comes from Shem. He gave a sacrifice. Oh, so that's what Hashem wants then. 
So instead of giving one sacrifice, I'll give seven sacrifices. He turned God into something that he's not. And we see here Balak made a critical mistake calling Bilam, who made even a bigger mistake. Bilam turned God into a false God, into a Santa Claus that needs the korbanot, the sacrifices. Instead of listening to what it says in the Torah, like Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, what did he listen to? What he saw. Oh yeah, I heard uh, Rabbi Nachman and uh, the, uh, the Balatanya and uh, also uh, all of the other righteous in the world, they uh, had a special relationship with Hashem, so I'm going to do the same thing. Yeah, but do you know what it means? To develop a special relationship with Hashem? Yeah, well, I just talked to him in my own language. Yeah, but you also know that's on top of listening to everything he says in the Torah. Oh, I don't have that much time for that. Can I just do the talking part? Can I just talk to him in the car on the way to work? On the way to work, when I'm filling up gas. When I'm filling up gas, can I just talk to Hashem? Does that make me a special relationship with Hashem? That's, that's Bilam. That's Bilam. This fake special relationship with Hashem, that's Bilam. Bilam said, no, no, they did one korban, I'll do seven korbanot. Yeah, but that's not what God wants. God doesn't want the seven sacrifices. God wants His people. God wants His people to learn Torah. That's what He said. And that's why in the book of Tehilim, that's why in the book of Tehilim, Hashem says to everyone, even if I were hungry, meaning, what do you think, I, I take these korbanot, I eat them? You think I eat these korbanot? He says, even if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For mine is the world in its fullness. You think I'm going to wait for you to feed me with your sacrifices? Even if I was eating these sacrifices. The foolishness of people thinking that Hashem benefits from these sacrifices. From the prayers. Today, sacrifice is a prayer. Even if I were hungry, I still wouldn't tell you. Why? It's all mine anyway. You think I need permission from you? I'm going to wait for you to feed me? Even if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For mine is the world in its fullness. Do I eat the flesh of the bulls or drink the blood of the goats? Offer God tshuva. Then redeem your vows to the Most High. Tehilim 50, verse 8. And also the prophet Micha tells us, He has told you, O oh man, what is good? What's the definition of good? What's the definition of good? What does God require you? But to do justice, to love kindness and walk modestly with your God. What does it mean? Walk modestly with your God. Desire what Hashem desires. Because Hashem does not desire your sacrifices. Hashem desires your tshuva. So here, Eliyahu and Navi gives us clear instructions of what not to do. Bil'am did the opposite. So even though he was given a great power, he wasted it. Every Jew gets a great power. Every Jew can be Moshe Rabbeinu. 
every Jew can be Moshe Rabbeinu. No questions asked. Their own version of Moshe, of course. They'll come to Moshe. No one's going to be like Moshe himself, but your own version of Moshe, meaning reaching their 100% potential. So a Jew that lives a life pressing a button without the electricity being connected, serving Hashem not like Hashem desired, but rather how they desired, is a fool. Is wasting their life. So now, what are the signs of fake love? How, what do we, how do we know what to stay away from? These are a few things that I wrote down. Shtabach Shimo gave me a few understandings of just the red flags. Le'avdil, you know, a big difference. When I was on Wall Street, one of my things that I was decent at was I was able to find red flags, what to stay away from. And when Hashem wanted it to work, it worked really well. So how do I know I have in my hands fake love? Because that is more dangerous than anything else you can have. Acquiring real love is easier once you know what to stay away from. Once you know what to stay away from, it leaves you less choices. But if you don't know what to stay away from, and all you know is what you want. You know you want a, a husband that's six feet tall. Oh, good for you, but what if he's six feet tall, but also a murderer, a rapist, a pedophile, and an homosexual? So what? So you got those six feet tall. But the rest of the things that he has is Shem Yachem. You want a wife that uh, looks a certain way. Okay, so you found a wife that looks exactly a certain way that you wanted to, but she also wants six husbands too while, while she's with you. So okay, so you got that looks, but you got something else too. So we can't just look for love blindly. This is what I want. So if it has what I want, therefore it's good. No, no, no. You have to know what you don't want. It's even more important. How do I know what I have in my hands is fake love? First and foremost, if what you have is disposable, it's fake. If what you have is something that you are willing to live without, it's fake. Meaning, if breakup is even an option in your relationship, it's a fake relationship. If you know the next time she makes you mad, you're out of here, you might as well leave now. It's a fake relationship. It's a fake relationship. It's not going to last. Because the fact that you are already thinking that the door is an option, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. It's not a real relationship yet. It hasn't, arrived, it hasn't achieved its purpose yet because you are still thinking this is optional. We're still dating, like the goyim. We date for five years and then we break up and we start new with someone else. So if your relationship is something that you see yourself living without, it's fake. A real relationship, Rabotai, is a relationship that doesn't see an end. A real relationship is a relationship that is the only way you can see yourself in. Just like you know that every time you look in the mirror, you're going to see yourself, you know that every time you look at your life, you're going to see your spouse. 
You cannot imagine a life without your spouse. That's a real relationship. But if you see yourself without her or without him, you have, you have fakeness in your relationship. It doesn't necessarily mean that you should just destroy it and, and break up and go find something else. The point I'm trying to tell you is that you have a lot of work to do to arrive at a real love. You're not there. You're not there. You have a lot of work to do to arrive at real love. When you say I love you to her, in reality you're fibbing a little bit. It's a little bit, like a little bit. A little bit you're fibbing. You're fibbing a little bit. Fib. A little bit. A little bit you're fibbing. So, you've had a question for 20 minutes. Go ahead. Yeah, about, about Rav. Rav. Wait, you said he had something greater. So if he wasn't a Rasha, he was a Noahite, how many mitzvot he would keep? He said he could have been better than Moshe? Ken. He had a power that Moshe Rabbeinu did not have. Moshe was in heaven. He was. Hmm? Moshe went to heaven. He brought the Torah. Yes. So he used his power the wrong way, and Moshe used his power the right way. Next. If, if your relationship is dependent on anything material, just like the Mishnah says, it's fake. If your relationship is based on you guys going on vacation together, couples are excited especially when they're not religious. During the early years, they go on vacations very as often as possible. They go to this beach and that beach and this boat and that boat and they show all their pictures on the internet of how they went and how they look happy and how he bought her a new bracelet and new shoes and look what he got me, a new bag and a new hat and a new this and a new that and three months later they're broken up. What happened to love? What happened to all the pictures? What happened to all that love? What happened? Oh yeah, he lost his job so he couldn't buy me all the stuff anymore. If your relationship is dependent on any type of physicality, it won't last. It won't last because intimacy at its best, at its best, does not depend on the physical aspects of a human being. Intimacy, at its best, at a holy level, not like the goyim, that view it as something that's frowned upon, like the Christians, they think that the holiest person doesn't have sex with anybody, except the little boys. You know, where they say he's the holiest guy because he doesn't have a wife. He has the boys, that they deny but until they get caught, but they view someone that's not intimate with a woman as holy. It's the stupidest thing in the world. Because if everyone was holy in their religion, there wouldn't be people. If everyone was holy, there wouldn't be people. They wouldn't reproduce. They would die in one generation. So they need people to continue being sinners. This is the dumbest religion in the world. It's the stupidest thing in the world. No one ever thought of this. The holiest person doesn't have a wife. That's what makes him holy in their eyes. 
Which means that if everyone was holy, just like him, they all listen to him, they come to his shulim, they come to his lectures, they come in A10, oh, you're holy? Okay, I'm going to be holy too. You're going to be the nun, he's going to be the priest, everyone's going to be kumbaya, or that. Okay, holy, holy, holy. Okay, you're all dead. One generation finished. Oh, Baruch Hashem, why don't you all be holy then? So, Rabotei, it's mamash, it's, it's pure stupidity. And it shows that this came from a person, because a divine being does not create any stupidity. But when a person has real love, then even their intimacy with their wife, with their husband, has much, much less to do with the physicality than you would imagine. Because they now have something much more significant, which is a spiritual connection. A spiritual connection that's irreplaceable, a spiritual connection that's unsurpassable, a spiritual connection that's something that they cannot live without, just like they can't live without air. They don't call the wife to see how she's doing because they feel like if they don't, she's going to yell at them. They call their wife because they want to know how she's doing because that's my other half. She doesn't call her husband to remind them to buy groceries. She calls the husband because that's my other half. I want to make sure my other half is okay. Yeah, but he was okay five minutes ago. Yes, but he's not next to me. I want to see it. I want to feel it. And if I can't, at the very least, I want to text. I want a quick phone call. He doesn't say, I love you because that's just what you do. He says, I love you because that's what he feels. He's not embarrassed of saying, I love you in public. Because that's not a guy thing to do. He's actually proud of it. But most importantly, he doesn't need to do it in public because he shows it. When you show love to the right person, to the person you love, you don't need to overcompensate by showing it to the public. The people that are affectionate in public are usually the first ones to get a divorce are usually the first ones to cheat on each other. Are usually the first ones to kill each other. Why? Because they're overcompensating for something that doesn't exist. If your love depends on any of this physicality, it's not real. It's fake. It's dangerous. You have work to do. If your love is on something like your career, more times than not, it's fake. And the reason why is because people like what they succeed at. So you can't tell me you love your job unless you're willing to do it even if you didn't make any money. Unless you're willing to do it, even if you did it for free. Free. Yeah, but I need to live. Too bad. 
Find another way to live. You love If you really love it, you would do it for free. Don't tell me you love your job when you're making a million. You love the money that your job gives you. But as soon as another job comes up and gives you 1.1 million, you're out. Don't tell me you love your job, you love your boss, you love your colleagues, you love everything, and they have a nice payment plan, they pay you 5, 10, 20, 30 thousand dollars a month, and you love it, because you know, as well as I do, that if the next boss that told you, listen, we have a different job for you, you're not exactly going to be in an office. You're going to be in the uh, sanitation department. But we'll pay you four times more. You're not going to work in an office with a suit and a tie and look groomed and everything, making your $50,000 a year. No. But we'll give you a job at the sanitation department, but you'll make 200000 All of a sudden, you see people becoming passionate about garbage. All of a sudden, they're passionate about picking up garbage in the street. Why? Because, you know, they're making four times as much. So you don't love your career. Spare us. Spare us the lies. All of these people say, no, you need to do what you love. It's complete nonsense. If you're already going to work, go do what's going to make you money. What you love doesn't exist. You love money. That's why you work. That's why you work. You don't work because you love it. It's complete nonsense. Rarely will you find a person that's willing to work for free. Rarely. He that works for free, maybe, maybe he loves it. But the one that's successful at it and says he loves it too, I happen to be successful, but I love it too. Okay, so what about once this market crashes, do you still love it? What about when someone sues you, you still love it? What about when your customers send you hate mail? You still love it? Spare us with the lies and the coaching. Oh, you should love your job. You should love your career. You love money. You love money. You like what it does for you. Don't lie to yourself at least. Don't lie to yourself. Why? You live 70, 80 years lying to yourself that you love what you do. You love what you do. You love what you do, but you have 18 careers in your life. How can you love something and let it go? If you love it, it's not a possibility to get rid of it. It's part of you. If retirement is an option, that means you don't love it. Why? Because you don't retire from something you love. You don't retire from something you love. You never see a Talmud Chacham retire from Torah. You're never going to see, oh, okay guys, I studied for 70, 80, 90 years. I'm retired now, I'm going to Bahamas. You're never going to see such a thing. Why? Because they really love it. The same thing goes with the fake gods. All of these people that pray to their rabbis or pray to their idols, it's very easy to know it's fake. Why? Because as soon as what you didn't want happens, all of a sudden you switch a god. You switch direction. You switch styles. All of a sudden you don't like this rabbi. You listen to lectures two, three, four, five years. He's the greatest rabbi. Wow, 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 wow. Amen. He's all amen. I'm everything he says. Amen, 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 amen. One day he says something that affects you, Bemit. I'm a lick. What happened? What happened to Amen for five years? What happened? No, no, he's Erevrav. How did how did how did Moshe Rabbeinu become Erevrav? How? Well, I made a mistake. 
and you see the person makes a mistake every year. Every year, everybody's a new Amalek in the world. So, enough. Hobbies. People say they love their hobbies. You enjoy your hobbies, but you don't love your hobbies. Why? If you loved it, it wouldn't be a hobby. If you loved it, it wouldn't be a hobby. You enjoy it. But as soon as the hobby goes wrong, let's say your hobby is to play baseball. Let's say your hobby is to, I don't know, play basketball. Let's say your hobby is to go fishing. If you continue to lose in whatever competition your hobby is, eventually you start despising it. If you go fishing, you're a fisherman. You fish and you fish and you fish and you fish and you fish. And all of a sudden you start noticing no fish. One trip, two trips, four trips, ten trips, twenty trips. Two years, three years, four years, five years you haven't fished. You went fishing, but no fish. Guess what? Hobby is no longer a hobby. Same thing with playing any sport. As soon as you start losing, it's no longer fun. So start, stop telling yourself, I love it. I love it. You don't love it. You like it. You enjoy it. There's a very big difference between the two. Absolutely. Anything in life. Anything in life. Same thing with girlfriends and boyfriends for the secular people that still haven't done tshuva. This is the same thing. So a person needs to know first and foremost that there are signs of there are signs of falsehood. The most important sign is if it's dis- disposable. If you can see yourself living without it, it's fake. Doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. It could be fun. It could be fun for you to go fishing. I don't know once a, I don't know, a month or something like that. It could be fun. You wanna. Go, sit in your boat, and you have a little gemara with you. You wait for the fish to bite the bait. Fine, you want to go do it, enjoy, no problem. Or if you do it for, for, for a career, no problem. I'm not saying it's bad, but don't call it love. Don't say, oh, I love this rabbi. Don't say you love the rabbi. Why? Because as soon as he said, your wife's not allowed to wear a wig anymore, you uh, didn't want to say, didn't want to do what he said. Okay, so you don't love the rabbi, you enjoy some of the things he says. Don't say, I love Hashem. Don't say, I love Hashem. Why? Because as soon as Hashem says you're not allowed to be a homosexual, you didn't like it so much. As soon as Hashem says you're not allowed to be with this girl, you didn't like it so much. As soon as Hashem said you had to wake up every morning and go to Beknesset, you didn't like it so much. Hashem gave you a Torah, I told you you have to listen to the whole thing. In Bechukotai Telechu. Bechukotai is the entire Torah. The entire Torah, Telechu. Or Chaim HaKadosh in Parashat Bechukotai says, what does it mean, in Bechukotai Telechu? You walk with my laws. He says, my laws are for everywhere. When you're home, when you're in business, when you're in the bathroom, when you're on a trip, when you're on vacation, everywhere. My laws go with you everywhere. There's no, I'm religious at home, but when I'm on vacation, I'm not. All of my laws come with you. So don't say, I love Hashem, if... It's only when it's convenient for you. Don't lie. Don't be a liar. That's the point. Hashem hates liars. 
doesn't necessarily mean it's bad to be a fisherman or to uh, whatever it is that you do as long as it's kosher. But don't call it love. Why? Because that's lying to yourself. And you can live a life full of lies thinking that you're doing a mitzvah. And in reality, you're as far from it as possible. That's what Bil'am did. That's what Bil'am did. Bil'am says, I'm a prophet. Shem was a prophet. Shem brought a korban. I'm going to bring seven. Yeah, but that's not what Hashem said. Hashem says, don't curse my nation. They're blessed. That's what Hashem said in the parasha. They're blessed people. He didn't say, go make me a korban. That way it's allowed. But, Bil'am rationalized. He's a prophet. I'm a prophet. He brought a korban. I'll bring seven. Don't do such accounting for Hashem. It's not what Hashem is interested in. Now, what are the signs of real love? First, the exact opposite of what we just said. If living without this person, without this thing, is no longer an option. You cannot see a life without this person. You cannot see a life without this thing, whatever this thing is, whether it be a hobby or a career or whatever it is. For the most part, all material is replaceable. All material is on the fake side. It's not possible for you to love something that's material. Yes, you may love your car in your mind, but in reality, as soon as a cool-looking car comes around, you don't love this one anymore. As soon as this car causes you trouble, you have to pay $2,000 a month to fix it, you don't love it anymore. As soon as uh, uh, your neighbor gets a nicer color of the same car, you don't love yours anymore. You start suffering for having it. Material in general is not something you could really love. You can't say you love steak because if the steak doesn't taste exactly like your taste buds agree with, you don't love steak anymore. So, love, first and foremost, in order for it to be real, it has to be irreplaceable. It has to be indisposable. It has to be something that to you is no different than air. You can't live without air, therefore you cannot live with this thing, without this thing that you love. Our goal in the Torah world is to arrive at such love with only a few things in our life. One, God. Ultimate goal of a Jew is to be an Evid Hashem, a servant of Hashem. Servant of Hashem means you have fallen in such deep love with Hashem that your own personal desires no longer exist if they contradict what His desires are. You are your own version of Moshe Rabbeinu. Where even though your Yetzirah may tell you from time to time that you really want to be with this woman that you're not allowed to be with. You really want to eat this food that you're not allowed to eat with. You want, your Yetzirah tells you you really want it. But you say, no, no, no. I love Hashem and He doesn't want it and therefore I don't want it. Yeah, but you want it. I don't want... I may want the milk and meat. I may want my body 
may want the milk and meat. But what can I do that my Father in Heaven says not allowed? Once He says not allowed, automatically I know this is not an option. I'm not sacrificing my love. Because the relationship I have with Hashem is indisposable. It's irreplaceable. I cannot touch it. I cannot damage it. It's very, very sensitive. The second thing, Rabotai, is the Torah. Metikuta Torah, the sweetness of Torah, it's supposed to be something that you yearn for, that you're willing to sacrifice your life for. Why? Because you know that's the key to your first love. What's your first love? Hashem. Without Torah, no Hashem. Without Torah, there's no Hashem. How do we know? Hashem Himself says in the Zohar Kadosh and other books in the Gemara, He says, I'm giving you my daughter, my only daughter. Its name is Torah. I can't live without it. Hashem, Hashem Itbarach, Melech, Malchei Amlachim, the King of all kings, created all creation, created everything, you, me, and everything in between. He says, I'm giving you my only daughter. Its name is Torah. I can't, Hashem says, I, the creator of all of everything, I can't live without it. I can't live without the Torah. Hashem says, I cannot live without Torah. So you're telling me you love Hashem, but you can live without Torah? So, the ideal circumstance is to fall in love with the Torah. How do you fall in love with the Torah? Why, you like stories? That doesn't mean you fall in love with the Torah. Torah is not stories. Yes, there are stories in the Torah, but the Torah is not stories. Torah is masim, is doing, fulfilling what it says, with excitement, with mesirut nefesh, with sacrifice. If you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning because you had to go to the bathroom, because you had to get a drink, because you just couldn't sleep, if you love the Torah, you know what you do? You go do what you need to do. The bathroom, you need to go to the bathroom, you go to the bathroom. Not allowed to study Torah if you have to go to the bathroom. You want to get a drink, go get a drink. Thirsty, no problem. Mitzvah. But you also think to yourself, wait a minute. Why did Hashem bother out of all of his creations in the world right now that he has to run everything right now, the leaves, the cats, the dogs, the bugs, the humans, the, the, the planets, the stars, the air, the, the, all the different parts of the world, gravity, everything. Why did he take the second, the minute, whatever time it takes to pay attention to me at this moment and wake me up now at 3 o'clock in the morning? For what? Couldn't just let me sleep? Of course you didn't just wake up for no reason. Nothing in the world happens for no reason. If you think something happens for no reason, you're kofel. So of course, it happened for a reason. Why did Hashem wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning? To go to the bathroom, I could have gone tomorrow. To, to get a drink? A lot of people go to sleep without drinking. What's the <laughs> Hashem woke me up, He stopped the whole world to wake me up to go get water? Why does him wake me up? Go study his Torah. Let me go get five minutes. 
let me go do Bikot Torah, do the three blessings to allow me to learn Torah, because you cannot, if once you went to sleep, you have to do Bikot Torah, you have to do the blessings of the Torah, go. You love the Torah, you can open the book, start studying. How long? However long you can. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 3 hours, 5 hours, whatever you can. That's what a person that loves Torah does. Why? He thinks like Hashem. He thinks like Hashem. Why would Hashem do all of this? He has so much to do. Why would He spend even a moment waking me up in the middle of the night? It cannot be to go to the bathroom. What benefit is it to Him for me to go to the bathroom? Ah, must be. He's reminding me. Oh, maybe you didn't study enough today. Let's get another five minutes. Let's get another 50 minutes. Let's get something. Let's put a little clip on. Let us put a book, a little parasha. Let me say Tehilim. Let me pray for, for the sick. Let me pray for the dead. Let me pray for myself. Let me do something. Go, open a Tehilim. Okay, you went to the bathroom, Baruch Hashem. Read one Tehilim. What's the problem? Read one Tehilim. Can't read one Tehilim for Hashem? Hashem gave you everything. You can't read one Tehilim. One little pill, Tehilim, takes 30 seconds. What? You can't read one Tehilim? Once a person falls in love with the Torah, let's say he starts thinking. He doesn't think about, oh, you know what, I really need to get seven hours of sleep. So if I really study right now, I'm probably not going to get that full seven hours because it's going to take me. He doesn't do that type of accounting. He doesn't do that type of accounting. He says, I'm awake, I have a mitzvah to do. That's how he knows he fell in love with Torah. But it takes time. It takes time and effort. And mesirut nefesh. Doesn't just you're not born. As a matter of fact, when you first start learning real Torah, many times it's bitter in the beginning. It's very difficult. It's hard to understand to such an extent that it can actually make you not like it. But that's also why the sages teach us that when a person first starts learning Torah, he must he must learn things that he's interested in. She must learn things that she's interested in. Don't learn about things that don't interest you. Don't learn about the Bet HaMikdash if you're not interested in the Bet HaMikdash. Don't learn about marriage if you're still single and you're not really interested about marriage life yet. You're interested in working on your Midot. Moshe Rabbeinu, Avraham Avinu, and so on and so forth. Study things that interest you, especially in the beginning, because you don't have that sweetness, that love of Torah yet. So most important thing in the beginning is to study things that you enjoy. Later on, you start adding some things that perhaps you don't enjoy as much. But if you do something enough times and you put your heart into it, you'll fall in love with it. So, the second thing that Hashem wants us to fall in love with is Torah. The third thing, Abutai, is our spouse. Our spouse is something that we have to fall in love with. A lot of people say they love their wife. A lot of people say they love their husband. But then they get divorced. How could it be? How do you leave something you love? Some people say a foolish statement that they don't even listen to. I love him, I just can't be with him. I love him, we just can't live together. As I'm saying, I love breathing, I just can't do it anymore. I've had it, I don't want to breathe anymore. I've had it, it's just too much. It takes too much time. I love eating. I just, I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it anymore. It just takes too much time. I gain weight all the time. I've had it. I'm just not going to eat anymore. It's such a foolish thing. I love it, but I just can't do it anymore. No. If you, if you see that 
not doing it is even an option, you don't love it. You may like it, you may enjoy it, but you definitely don't love it. Because love is not something that you can stop. Love is when your emotions are out of control. Meaning, it's become you. It's consumed you. It is you. That's why the Rambam says, the ideal relationship that a Jew is supposed to have with his spouse, with his wife, is to love her as much as he loves himself, but honor her more than himself. What does it mean, love her as much as himself? Love her as much as himself, meaning that just like you wouldn't kill yourself if you're a normal human being, you wouldn't jump off of a bridge, don't murder her with words. Just like you wouldn't want to hurt yourself or anyone to hurt you, don't hurt her either. Think 80 times before a word comes out of your mouth. Just like you like being appreciate, appreciated, appreciate. But even if you don't like being appreciated, you don't like the attention, that's where the honor comes from. Honor her more than yourself. You don't like being appreciated, it doesn't make a difference. You have to honor her anyway. Still say thank you a million times a day. For what? She woke up. She gave you a time of day. She gave you children. She helped you stay away from sin. The Gemara says if a wife keeps you away from sin and brings you children, she's an eshet chayil. What about cooking and cleaning? That's extra. That's a bonus. That's a bonus. If she keeps you away from sins and takes care of your kids, brings kids to the world, she's an eshet chayil. But unfortunately, many men don't understand this. Some men think that we're Muslim, not Jews. So they treat their wives like uh, they, uh, they have a uh, turban on. And uh, unless they cook a five-star meal, they act to the wife as if she uh, owes them something. When she says, I need help, you know, there's four or five kids running around the house that can't take care of, care of the kids and work and clean and cook and this. I need some help. What? What help? Tell your parents to come help you. Like they treat their wife like she's a slave of some kind, like she's still in Egypt. Yeah, oh, that's the best one. The people that say, oh, my grandmother used to do it all. Yeah. She had 10 kids and she cleaned and this and that. Yeah, the grandmother also lived in one room. She didn't have a house with 18 rooms. That's all the gen- all of the previous generation lived in one room. Everyone lived in one room. That's what was available. One room. If you had one room, you're already good. Ten kids, twelve kids, fifty, doesn't make a difference. One room. That's what you can afford. To expect the wife to clean those fifteen rooms you have in the house and work and clean and, and give the pizza. back then, what do you do to, to help the kids? Hey kids, wake up. Here's a uh, some piece of bread to eat. Go learn Torah. After you finish, you come, you help in the house. That's what the, that was the day. Today, the kid, you have to appease them every 30 seconds. You have to give them a present. You have to pay attention. You have to put a show on. You have to take them to a, uh, to a class. You have to take them to a course. You have to help them do this. You have to have them on your head, on your toes, on your knee. You have to play with them. Yeah. It's not the same thing. You cannot compare this generation to the previous generation. You cannot compare the two. You can't say, oh, no, no, my grandmother had 10 kids. You should have 10 kids. What 10 kids? Can you handle 10? You can't handle me. You want to handle me and 10 kids? So that's the thing. Abutai, men have to understand that 
being a woman, there's a special blessing we say to Hashem, thank you for not making me a woman. What do you think, Hashem is a chauvinist? He's trying to tell you men something. It's very difficult to be a woman. Very difficult to be a woman. Very difficult. One. Number one. The hormonal roller coaster that an average woman goes through on a typical day to a man, you wouldn't survive it. A man would not survive the body of a woman for a single day. All these idiots that want to pretend they're women just by putting some uh, some uh, clothes on them. By the way, you know what happens? There's a, a abnormal amount of suicide. An abnormal amount of suicide for people that start injecting estrogen, other women hormones into their bodies. What do you think? It's because and no one liked them? Like people, like the media likes to say, oh, no one liked them. They were really putting a lot of pressure on them because they came out of the closet. No, no, no. No. God's telling you, I created you as a man because you cannot handle being a woman. As soon as you tried forcing it, you died. Why? You can't handle the hormonal roller coaster that a woman handles. As soon as a woman grows up, has a time of the month, gets married, have a kid, whatever she got used to for the first 18, 20, 25 years of our life, of how our hormones are, how the time of the month is, how everything was, just goes upside down. Why? Everything that she knows for the first 25 years is now completely irrelevant. She has now officially become a different person. What do you mean? I'm used to the time of the month coming on this day, on this month, and it is, and it hurts this way, and it hurts that way, and it blows this way, and it blows that Yes, good. That was the first chapter. Now you had a kid. Everything that happened before you had your first child was a different person. You now have something else. Yeah, but I don't know anything about this. Good luck. There's no book. There's no book to teach you this. No. That's why us men said, Baruch Hashem, I'm not a woman. Now, she had another kid. Another kid. Guess what? Guess what? Another new body. Another new body, another hormones. One more hormones here, one more hormones there. One's black, one's green. The other guy's Chinese, the other guy's Jewish. This one's a Hindu. It's all oh, the hormones are fighting with each other. Oh, ah, what happened? Oh, you were, you were kosher until now. Yeah, but now we're, uh, we're a little off the derech. We're hormones off the derech. It comes every Tuesday now. It used to come every Shabbat. Now it's a Tuesday. What happened? Different. Second kid. Ooh, wah, ooh, wah. And you realize what men don't understand that when a woman gives birth, she carries a child. She carries a human being for nine months. Now, it all looks cool on the outside for the men. Wow, there's a piece of me in there. Wow, it's going to be a little kid, a little me, a little her coming into the world. Wow, it's so cool. Wow, he's going to be a tzaddik. Wow, it's going to be tzaddikah. Wow, wow. All the while, they don't realize that the woman inside her body, what's happening in her body, when she says, oh, it's uncomfortable, what she really is telling you is, I'm dying from pain because inside me, this baby's killing me. He's breaking up my entire body inside. All of the organs shift from where they know to be for 25, 30 years. They're used to it. They have a home. The lungs are over here. The stomach's over here. The kidneys over here. Everybody has their place. All of a sudden, baby comes. Oh, guys, move out. What do you mean move out? It's my house. Sorry, I'm here. Move out. The guy comes runs the show. We don't even know this guy. Hey, he runs the show. 
For the next nine months, I call the shots. The lung has to go here, the kidney has to go here, the liver goes here, everyone's here, everyone's here. Oh! And you're like, wow, it looks so cute. What's so cute? She's broken inside. She, the fact that she survives is a miracle of its own. Now, she gave birth. Her whole body now has got used to this shape over here. Now, there's an emptiness. Now he left. She left. The little baby left. So everybody wants to come back. What do you think they just come back? Well, it's like a, it's like a love end. Now she takes months to come back and heal. And that's why we have to wait a year. Normal, normal situation, you have to wait a year. Why? Because it takes about a year for it to heal. Our whole body is broken. Yeah, on the outside looks great. Inside, it's broken. And what is the guy says, Oh, how come you're not, uh, how come you're not so into me anymore? Is it because of the kid? No, you moron. She's broken. She's broken inside you, insensitive little bug. She's broken inside the fact that she's even saying hi to you. She say thank you and kiss her feet. Men don't think like this, but that's why Hashem put a blessing in our sidu. Baruch Hashem, I'm not a woman. Baruch Hashem, why? Because Abutai, it's very hard. It's very hard for a woman to be a woman. It's very hard. So now after that, hormones. There change again, another new body. And then if that wasn't enough, she had the puberty. She had the kids. She had the marriage. She had another kid. Then, if that wasn't enough already, she arrives in mid-age at some point, and now all bets are off. All bets are off. Everything she knew for 50, 60 years, gone. Now, another new phase. Another new body. Yeah, but uh, you were good for 60 years, 50 years, 70 years. You were good, everything was good. Yes, but then there's uh, menopause, and then the hormones go in a different direction, and then she has to uh, deal with it. Oh, how come you're moody? If you dealt with my body for a second, forget for a year or for the rest of your life, for a second you'd commit suicide. That's why, it's one of the many reasons why a man is obligated to honor the woman more than himself. Why? You can't do what she's doing. You can't. That's why Hashem created you, amen. But that's also why you're obligated to learn a lot more Torah. The fact that she goes through such mesirut nefesh, her whole life, even without wanting it, makes her automatically suffer more than the man, which automatically makes a woman more spiritual than a man and closer to Hashem naturally. A man doesn't have all of this. He has to work hard at being connected to Hashem. So Rabotai, if a person knew just a little bit of what I'm saying and understood it and repeated this part of the lecture a thousand times, this alone will make him love his wife. This alone will make him want to call his wife. This alone will make him appreciate his wife. Why? I can't do it. I can't do what she's doing. And all she's doing with all that, she's taking care of kids. While she's doing all of that, she still has a smile on. While she's doing all of that, she still wants to be with you. While she's doing all of that, she's still cheering you up and so on and so forth. That's Eshet That's why it doesn't say in the Gemara, if she cooks and she cleans and she does this. No, no. It just says, she keeps you away from sin and she brings children to the world. That's it. Eshet Everything else is good. 
should do it. But Eshet Chayil already is the first two. Why? Because you're dealing with so much already. What's the problem? So here, Rabotai, is a place that I, we need to go over. I know it's late, but we need to go over some of these. Because some of the things that it says in the Torah, some people think that it only applies to men or it only applies to women. And the reality is that Hashem gave us these mitzvot in order for us to be become perfect, perfect in our relationship with Him. Now, there are some mitzvot, the Rabbanit say, says, that don't make any sense. Don't make any sense. Like shloch haken. You go, you see a bird in a little nest hanging out with its little eggs over there. Your mitzvah from the Torah that Hashem says, I will give you a long life, is if you take, shoo the bird away and take one of the eggs. Make any sense? No. Doesn't make any sense. One of the chidushim the Rabbanit says, oh, chidush is, Hashem wants you to know some mitzvot don't make any sense, but He still wants you to do it. And you know that you're obligated and you want to do it. Not only obligated, you want to do it even though it doesn't make any sense. Even though it doesn't make any sense. It's against your own logic, but you want to do it. Why? Because I love Hashem. I love Hashem. I don't want to go to the Beknesset at 6 o'clock in the morning. I don't want to go to Beknesset at all. I don't want to learn. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. But it makes sense of why you should do it. Hashem says, no, no. Not only do I want and expect you to do all the things that make sense, but on top of it, I expect you to want and do all the things that don't make any sense. Because that, my dear son, my dear daughter, is a sign of love. That's a sign of love. When you start doing things that don't make sense. That's how you know how you love your spouse. You start doing things that don't make any sense. She wakes up, 2 o'clock in the morning, she's pregnant. Oh, I wish I had some ice cream. You're already putting your shoes on. Okay, what flavor do you want, honey? It's 2 o'clock in the morning. A normal person should not want ice cream at 2 o'clock in the morning. But you love her. So what do you do? You already have the shoes on. What flavor do you want, baby? Not, ah, oh, man, I'm so tired. No, you don't say I'm tired. You don't say I'm tired. You don't say I'm tired. Why? You love her. You want her to be happy. Same thing, Rabotai, same thing. A person doesn't wait for his wife to ask for flowers or to ask for a present. He doesn't wait for her birthday or the anniversary to buy her something. That's just a stingy guy that follows the laws of the goyim. A husband that loves gives whenever an opportunity arises. That's why in the Torah we say that Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh is a, is a monthly holiday for the wives. It's actually a day that the wives are obligated to relax. It's a day you're obligated to have the wife relax. Why? It's a holiday. It's the holiday of the wives. You're supposed to buy her a little present. Doesn't need to be a car every month. How many cars can you drive? It could be a one flower. It could be one teddy bear. It could be, I don't know, anything. But you don't wait for, oh, you didn't buy me. If she's saying you didn't buy me anything, that already means there's some, something wrong with the relationship. Buying something doesn't mean you have to have money. Buying something can be something for free. You can get a flower from the, from the, from the garden. Hey, honey. doesn't need to cost money. The point is, is that when you send a text message or a phone call or a flower or anything 
to your wife, it's not that she cares about the stupid flower or the text message or the phone call or the car or the bracelet. None of that stuff really means anything to her if she really loves you. If she, if she loves the stuff, then she doesn't love you. But what does it actually say? She just is happy you thought about her. She's as excited as can be with the flower as she is with the car. She's as excited as can be with the little, uh, I don't know, rainbow uh, uh, rubber band as she is with the diamond ring. Why? Because it came from you. And you took the time to think about her throughout your really busy day. When you're on Wall Street, when you're in a hospital, when you're in a, uh, in a I don't know, the deli, you're in whatever job you have, you're a UPS truck, you stop the day at the UPS. Okay, I'm going to go to the garden over here, take a thing, I'm going to take a little rainbow-looking flower for my wife. That, a million bucks. That's worth a million bucks. You start doing things that are not normal. That's not normal. Why? No, people don't do stuff like that. No, people buy stuff on birthdays and on anniversaries. And on Goyish holidays. And when people tell them to. And when she asks them to. Like the people that are so-called normal, they wait for something to be broken in order to buy something else. They're only going to get her a new car once her car breaks. They're only going to get her a new dress once she has a hole in all the dresses she has. They're only going to get her a new shoe after she stops, after she complains enough to the point where there's smoke coming out of her ears. Okay, when she's limping already for three months, oh, you need new shoes? No, I need a new leg now. I needed new shoes three months ago. Now I need a new leg. You stingy, evil person. So a normal person acts like that. A Jew, a holy Jew, doesn't wait for damage, broken bridges, and, all, and, and people to suffer. No, no. A Jew already starts seeing He sees what will be born from this. He sees, oh, her car is making noise. I have to check this. Honey, take my car. Why? No, no, I like my car. No, no. Just take my car. I got to check your car. But I didn't ask you to. It's not about you asking me to. I love you. I worry about you. I want to check your car. Honey, here's new shoes. Or here's money for shoes. Yeah, but I don't need new shoes. I think you do. I think you should get one for you. Why? Make you happy. A husband that loves his wife is generous in an automatic way. It's not something that, oh, wow, he's so special, he's so generous. No, no, it comes naturally. It comes naturally. Why? Because when you love somebody, all you want to do is give. Give, give. What? Everything. Everything. Nothing belongs to you anymore. You want to give. When you love Hashem, all you want to do is do what is will. All you want to do is give yourself to Hashem. But if you're constantly thinking about yourself, what do I get out of this? Then, my friend, you don't love anybody but yourself. What do I get out of this? You only love yourself. If you're thinking, what do I get out of this? You love yourself. You do not love Hashem. You don't love your wife. You don't love your husband. You don't love your kids. You don't love your teacher. You don't love your husband. You don't love anything. You love yourself. Stop lying to yourself. At the very least, learn from this year. Stop lying. But if you're lucky and fortunate enough to love somebody else, that means automatically... All you wanted to do is give. What? Everything. No second thoughts. Can I afford it, not afford it? I'll make it happen. Why? I love it. 
So the halachot that we have are different tools, different things that a person needs to know in order to turn the button on. The ultimate goal is what we talked about now. How do we get this to turn on? The different laws that Hashem Yitbach gave us that are going to help us. Part of the things that are critical in a relationship is the aspect of intimacy. A relationship without intimacy, if it's a marriage, it's a non-existent relationship. Regardless of whether the couple is 20 or 80, a healthy Jewish couple is always intimate. Intimate doesn't always mean you're like the goyim. Intimate can simply mean holding each other's hand. Intimate mean just loving and caring for each other. It could also mean obviously the physicality aspect of it. But the point is, is that intimacy is not just the get your job done, you're finished and, and, and we're moving on. That's animals. Intimacy is your world. It's the whole relationship. It begins when you wake up, it ends when you go to sleep. So that intimacy has to be protected at all times. So there are certain laws we'll go over and then we'll finish. Bezat Hashem. The Rambam says, in Ilchot Isure Be'ah, chapter 21, whoever shares physical intimacy with one of the Arayot, one of the women that are not allowed to him, a woman that he's not married to, a non-Jew, his sister, his mother, and so on, Someone who shares a physical intimacy with one of the arayot without actually becoming involved in sexual relations or embraces and kisses one of them out of desire and derives pleasure from the physical contact should be lashed. Here we see that even the day-to-day show of affection that people have, like saying hi and they give each other the kiss on the cheek like people do all the time, this is strictly forbidden in the Torah. Strictly forbidden. Even the hug of a woman that's not your wife is strictly forbidden. In fact, even your own wife, the Shulchan Aruch says, even your own wife, you're not allowed to show her affection in public. Even your own wife. You told me once you have to fast on Monday and Thursday, two years ago, to give a woman a hug. Okay. Well, you fast any day. That's just the usual days that people fast. Second halacha, person who engages in any of the above-mentioned practices is considered likely to engage in a forbidden sexual relation. It's forbidden for a person to make a motion with his hands or feet or wink with his eyes to one of the alayot, meaning even flirting. A lot of people think, oh no, he's so flirty. No, he's so flirty, he's funny. You're not allowed to be flirty with anyone other than your wife with anyone other than your husband. You're not allowed to flirt in Judaism. It's forbidden. Why? It says, anyone that does these things is likely to eventually make a sin that's karet. It starts with a wink. It starts with a hug. It starts with a high five. It starts with a joke. It starts that way. All of them start that way. No one just starts in the bedroom. Even the dogs run around each other for a little while. Point is, Abutai, you're not allowed to flirt. It is even forbidden to smell her perfume. If you have one of these colleagues at your job 
that wears half a ton of perfume, that when she walks, we see a stream of smoke behind her, change offices. Change offices, change locations. She's not going to change, obviously. You have to change. Why? It's forbidden to even smell it. Because that smell will lead your Yetzirah. What does the Alakha say? A person who even looks at the small finger of a woman with the intent of deriving pleasure is considered as if he looked at her actual genitalia. Why does the Rambam say what the Rambam is uh, perverted? Because that is the physical makeup of a man is to immediately imagine every woman in front of him naked. That's the, just the way a man is. Without Torah, that's what a man is. A man without Torah is no different than the wolf, than the lion, than any of the other animals in the, in, in the zoo. He's no different than them, if not worse than many of them. So, a man that is going to knowably, intentionally, going to look at another woman's hand, and uh, just a hand. He's giving her a change. But he's doing it slowly because so, he likes to look at her fingernails and the colors she has and the little rainbows and the little diamonds she has on her things. He's enjoying looking at her hands. Torah says here, it's just like he looked at her naked. Why? Because what's going to happen after that, he's not going to stop at her fingers. He's going to start thinking something else and something else, you, the Mevin Yavin. So think of the Erva. Now what about Shiduch? What about going on a Shiduch? It's permitted to look at the face of an unmarried woman and examine her features, whether she's a virgin or has engaged in relations previously, is irrelevant, to see whether she is attractive in his eyes so that he may marry her. We actually learn this from Job 31.1 where it says, I established a covenant with my eyes, I would not gaze at a maiden. Even Job himself says, I established a covenant in my, with my eyes, meaning after I saw her once, I knew I wanted to marry her. That's it, finished. So if you're going to Shiduch, you look at her face, see if she's attractive to you, that's it. Don't stare, you're not allowed to stare. You're not allowed to stare. Or you're not allowed to practice for six months. That's animals. There's no practice. There's no acting like we're married and living together for six months or six years. There's none of that in Judaism. Once you've decided, okay, she's attractive, then you start asking questions. Steve starts asking questions. You see if you guys are spiritually connected. Don't expect to fall in love. You cannot love each other at this stage. You're going to like each other. You may like each other a lot over time. But love, that's something that you build over time. That's something that you build over time. In a healthy Jewish marriage, according to the Torah, the love is still continuing to be built even 50 years after it started. It never ends. It's something you build. Because each day, you're spiritually more connected. Each day, you've gone through th- more trials and tribulations together. You've gone more together together. And so on and so forth. It's forbidden, Allah 5 says, it's forbidden for a man to have any woman, whether a minor or an adult, whether a servant or a freed woman, perform per- personal tasks for him. Why? Lest he come to lewd thoughts. Which tasks are referred to? What are they talking about? Having any woman wash his face, outside of his wife obviously. 
Any woman washes face, his hands, his feet, spreading a, 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 his bed in his presence, pouring him a cup of coffee or anything. Meaning for all of the people that are successful enough to have these living maids and servants and so on, if she's going to fix your house, your bed and so on, you cannot be in the house or in the room. You could be in your office, you could be in a different place, but you can't watch or fix your bed. Why? It's going to lead you to have perverted thoughts. Also, don't use the maid to start making you coffee in front of you. Why? There's a certain job that it's just too close. It's too close. Your wife needs to do certain things. If you're successful and so on, that's no problem. doesn't mean that your wife becomes a uh, Malkata Yofi sitting outside getting a tan all day. There's certain things your wife still has to do. What if your maid is ugly? doesn't make a difference if she looks like Gargamel himself. doesn't make a difference. Allah is for everyone. Six, when a man embraces or kisses any of the women forbidden to him as Arayot, despite the fact that his heart does not disturb him concerning the matter, meaning he has no attraction to them, it's his sister, it's his mother's sister, or anything like that. He's not attracted, oh, she looks like Gargamel. He's like, no, 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 what are you worried about me hugging? She's 90 years old, I'm not, I'm not attracted to her. She's my mom, she's my sister, she uh, looks like Gargamel, she's this. I'm not attracted to her, it doesn't do anything for me. The Rambam says about him, it is still very shameful, it's forbidden, and it's a foolish act. It doesn't make a difference if you're attracted to them. It doesn't make a difference if you're homosexual in reality. It doesn't make a difference if it's your sister, if it's your mother, if it's your cousin, if it's Obama. It doesn't make a difference. It's not allowed. But it doesn't make sense. It doesn't need to make sense. If you are God, then you can make your own sense. But since you're not, you have to follow what God says. Why? That shows love. When you start following things, even though they don't make sense to you, that shows love. But if you're only going to follow Hashem, if it makes sense to you, that means you love yourself. And you're only following what God says because it's convenient. Follow those people that are sick in their mind and think that, yes, when Hashem was referring to homosexuality, He was only referring to men and men. It's not true. It also refers to women. Allah number eight. Lesbian relations are forbidden. This is the conduct of Egypt, which we were warned against in Leviticus 18.3. It says, do not follow the conduct of Egypt. Our sages said in Sifra that what would they do? A man would marry any man, and a woman would marry a woman, and a woman would marry two men. Meaning that part of the disgustingness and the toivat Hashem that happened in Egypt that made it get to the highest level of Tumai in the entire world is homosexuality both within men and women. So all of these men that think that their wife is doing them a favor by bringing her friend, all they're doing is just making sure that they all have the same villa in Gainon. That's all they're doing. We have to teach this stuff because nobody else does. And it's Allah Khan, we have to teach it. Nine, a man's wife is permitted to him. Therefore, a man may do whatever he desires with his wife. He may engage in relations whenever he desires, kiss any organ he desires, engage in vaginal, anal intercourse, engage in physical intimacy without relations, provided he does not release seed in vain. A lot of people think that in order to be a Jew, you have to be a prude. You're only allowed to do a certain thing, do a certain thing. Everything is allowed. There's no problem with it, according to the Rambam. But that's for the average person. 
if somebody wants to be a Talmud Chacham, somebody wants to make themselves holy, somebody wants to make themselves closer and closer to Hashem, then they have to do above and beyond the Alakha. In general, in regards to Alakha, you're allowed to do whatever you want with your wife, as long as you don't waste seed. Meaning that anytime seed comes out, it's in the only area that can bring a child. Even if she is using some type of uh, 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 way to not have kids and so on, if you got the permission from your Rav, it's not a problem. But, but, you have to be very careful. You have to be very careful. Why? Because certain guys don't work exactly on, a, uh, on an exact clock. So the point is you have to be careful because if you waste seed, even if it's accidental, you have a serious, serious problem on your hand. The Arizal says you have to fast 84 times. 84 times. It's a lot of tests. Either 84 times or 84 meals. That's expensive. The point is, you're allowed, no problem. But, he continues, nevertheless, pious conduct, a tzaddik, someone that's righteous, someone that's trying to get closer to Hashem, is not just going to do everything that's allowed. He's going to look for things that are ideal. He's not just going to look for the gray area. He should look to do things that are ideal. A pious person is not to act frivolously concerning such matters and to sanctify himself at the time of relations, as exp- explained in Chod Deot, which I'll go over in a second. He should not depart from the ordinary pattern of procreation. The ordinary pattern of the world for this act was given to us solely for the sake of procreation. Meaning the Rambam explains that although you are allowed to enjoy intimacy with your wife or your husband, there is holiness in it. We're not the goyim. There is holiness in it to such an extent that the holier you are, you actually can think about Hashem during it. It's not considered perverted. In fact, the opposite. If you're doing it for the right reason, to bring a child to the world, you can think about Hashem with no problem. It's actually mitzvah. You've made it into a holy thing. But if you're purely doing it to relieve your desires and so on, then it's obviously not so holy. You're still allowed, but the point being is that it all depends on your closeness to Hashem. So in Ilchot Deot, it talks a lot about modesty. It talks a lot about modesty for a man in order to become a holy person. Modesty even when he's eating. Modesty even when he's in a bathroom. It says, in Alachan number 4, chapter 5, Alachan number 4, in Chod Deot, it says, although a man's wife is permitted to him at all times, it's fitting for a wise man to conduct himself with holiness. What does holiness mean? There's no more powerful expression of a man's basic instinctive nature than sex. Therefore, precisely in this area, a Jew must reveal that his nature is not only material, but that he possesses a spiritual dimension that lies at the core of his being and seeks expression. For this reason, the Jewish marriage bond is referred to as Kiddushin. Emphasizing how kedusha, meaning holiness, is a fundamental element in marriage. Where do we see this from? 
In Leviticus 20, verse 7, it proclaims, Sanctify yourselves and be holy, for I am holy. Kedoshim tiyu ki kadoshani. As a preface to the laws, which laws does it say kedoshim tiyu because kadoshani? When does it say to be holy because I am holy? Right before the laws prescribing the forbidden sexual relations. Right before it tells you what's allowed and what's, al- what's not allowed. In regards to intimacy, Hashem says, remember, there are things that are allowed. There are things that are not allowed. In order to achieve both, be holy. Always remember you have to be holy. Even with the things that are allowed. Even with the things that are allowed. So, he should not frequent his wife like a rooster. Rather, he should limit his intimate relations to once a week if he's trying to be a tzaddik. From Shabbat to Shabbat. He should not be excessively lightheaded. He should not talk obscene nonsense. Like some people like to talk like they're truck drivers. Like all this stuff that they, they, the garbage books and movies have taught us our whole life, all that stuff is forbidden. Yeah, but it makes me excited. That's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. You have to do tshuva. Yeah, but I'm religious already. You're not religious. You just look like you are. Some people, you know, people come to you with different questions. People come with you with different questions. They come to me with these questions. That's why I'm going over this, to once and for all go over all this. If you think I'm enjoying this, I'm suffering here. But it has to be done. It has to be discussed. Now when people ask me questions, I can just refer them to the shiur instead of one-on-one all the time. But the point is, Rabotai, is that people ask questions. They say, oh, one, one, one person says... Yeah, my husband uh, likes to watch movies. He says he needs it because it's an exciting for him. I said, your husband needs to do chua. He goes, no, he's religious his whole life. I said, he's not even religious one day. Or he likes to do this. All these perverted thoughts that people have. Like, yeah, your husband watches too much internet, too much TV, too much cable, too much toivat uh, Hashem. He doesn't watch his eyes. That's why he has these thoughts. He wants you to be like the woman in the movie. He has to do tshuva. Modesty is not just clothing, Abutai. Modesty is what goes in your mind. Behold, the prophet Amos said, chapter 4, verse 13, and he repeats to a man what he has spoken. Our sages says, a person will, be, will have to have a, pay an account, what? For even a light conversation that he has with his wife. Meaning just small nonsense talk with your wife, you also have to pay the bill on, on Shemayim for. Why would you waste time? Why are you talking about uh, nonsense? Even even small talk with your own wife. But, he continues, at time of physical intimacy, they should not be drunk, nor lackadaisical, nor tense, neither both of them, neither one of them, she should not be asleep, nor should the man take her by force against her will. Rather, the relation should take place amidst their mutual consent and joy. He should converse and dally with her somewhat so that she be relaxed. He should engage in marital intimacy with her modestly and not boldly and withdraw from her immediately. What does it mean, draw from her immediately? 
This is a sense of modesty for the men. The Gemara Masechet Nedarim, page 20b, Ima Shalom, the wife of Rabbi Eliezer, was asked, how come all of your children came out so beautiful? Every child is mamash beautiful. Not just in, a, in, a, in physicality where they have beautiful nature, eyes, nose, ears, tall, short, all that stuff. Not just that. They have good midot, the chachamim, they, they're, they're beautiful people. How? Everyone. Baruch Hashem, one good, two good, three. But you have a bunch of them all, tzadikim, kdoshim, beautiful. All of them look like they came from Yerushalayim. How? What is your special zgula? Or you have five strings. What do you do? You pray Tehilim every day. What do you do? This is the secret that was a chidush of chidushim for me when I first read it. She says, the beauty is all because of my husband. Why? He engages in intimacy with me at midnight, meaning when it's dark, for modesty reasons. During marital intimacy, uncovers the hand, or hand breath and covers a hand breath. Meaning that even their intimacy itself, it's not like the Shemir Achem movies. He's modest. He's modest. Because he knows the Shekhinah is there. He knows the Shem is watching. It's not, uh, you're allowed. But just because you're allowed doesn't mean you should. Even during intimacy, my husband is modest. Even during intimacy. And Igeret HaKodesh says that the beauty of the children, the beauty of the children, both the physical aspect of it, as well as the midot, the character traits, and everything else comes from the modesty of the husband. And that's what the Rambam Posek Le'alacha number 5. Whoever conducts himself in this manner, meaning modestly, may be assured that not only does he sanctify his soul, meaning even the act of intimacy is actually a mitzvah, and he's actually making himself holier through it, he purifies himself, he refines his character, it's an essence, a part of his tshuva, believe it or not. But furthermore, if he has children, they will be handsome and modest, Worthy of wisdom and piety. The Igeret HaKodesh says, when a person joins together with his wife while his thoughts cleave to the spiritual realms, he's not thinking about some woman. He's not thinking about all this garbage. He's thinking about holy things. That what's happening here is holy. The child's going to be holy. It's going to be mitzvot. It's going to be the will of Hashem, and so on and so forth. He's not having these perverted thoughts. Those thoughts draw down a sublime light, which rests on the drop of semen. That drop of semen is always connected to the shining light. This is the mystic secret implied in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 5, when Hashem says to the prophet Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Meaning that Hashem says He had already had an established connection to the shining light on the sperm 
from which that righteous man, meaning Jeremiah, was conceived at the time of his parents' union. Why? Because his parents were modest. Not just modest in clothing, and she wore a long dress, and she wore the, uh, you know, the mitzvachat, and he wore the hat, and no, not just then. A lot of people wear a costume all year. I'm talking about even during this time. Even during this time. The Torah sages conduct themselves with exceptional modesty. They do not demean themselves and do not bare their heads and their bodies. Meaning even putting a kippah on. A kippah is an act of modesty. That's why you're always going to see the immodest men tend to not wear a kippah. Even if they teach Torah. They teach Torah. Some people claim they teach Torah because they're reading from a book. Like I'm reading from a book so they think it's teaching Torah. But after they finish teaching the Torah, the, the keeper goes back in the pocket. You're always going to see something similar. What's what, Something go along with it. What? Immodesty. Immodesty is glued to it. Why? A person that the keeper is a disposable thing, he doesn't love Hashem. He loves himself. He loves the, the way he looks too much. He's like the rooster. The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says, what happens if you cut the rooster's uh, uh, top? The mohawk. What, do you, what happens if you cut it? What happens? The rooster, no lo- aside from looking like a chicken, the rooster no longer wants to be, uh, even though, be uh, what's it called, intimate with uh, the uh, chicken. He's no longer, rel- he's not going to be intimate anymore. The Gemara says this. Masakat Shabbat. Why? It says because the rooster, I'm going to read it to you guys. You think I'm making this up? I'm going to read it to you. Not anymore after you cut that. Not anymore. I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. You guys think I'm making this stuff up. I'm going to show you guys. You understand? I'm not making this stuff up. What we learn from a rooster. Shem says you're supposed to learn from everything. You learn from a rooster. Amash, we learn from a rooster. So the Gemara says, if you take off that top of the rooster, Hashem Echem, the rooster does not want to have kids anymore. Why? Because he likes looking at himself. He likes looking at himself and he thinks of himself as beautiful. Once you've removed his beauty, he no longer he's no longer sexually aroused. He's not this is this is in the Gemara. This is in the Gemara. So now a man a man needs to understand that if he cares too much about his looks, he has a serious problem. He likes himself too much. If he likes himself too much, once that's that's a problem. That's a serious problem for the marriage. That marriage is most likely temporary. So a man is not supposed to like himself? I'm not saying not supposed to like himself. What like himself physically? No, you shouldn't act like a woman. Like yourself, yeah. I'm not talking about liking yourself. I'm talking about liking yourself as far as beauty, worrying too much about your eyebrows and shaving yourself and acting like a woman. All of those things. Look normal. normal? What's the definition of normal? Oh no! If your own definition is uh, that's a uh, problem. Your own definition of normal is karet. Your own definition of normal is karet. So, a person needs to know that there's not, no such thing as your own definition of normal. Normal is only normal based on what Torah says. Torah says that you're only allowed to do things that are allowed to do. What Hashem says you're allowed to do. You know, so you're not allowed to act like a woman. 
a man is not allowed to shave himself in uh, all these different, uh, you know, make his, himself uh, look and feel like he just came out of the womb. He wants a baby's body. Two different things. Shaving and buzzer is two different things. And there's one thing is for hygiene. The other thing is for, uh, for other reasons. Uh, again, it's, it's, a person needs to be careful with certain things. There's certain things that are allowed, certain things that are not allowed. As far as the, uh, you know, if a person has a, uh, you know, wants to groom himself, for example, groom his beard or other things, he's allowed to groom himself to an extent, to an extent. But once it gets to the point where his eyebrows look like he just came out of some uh, runway, okay, he has spears instead of eyebrows, and, uh, you know, and he's, he's, he's looking, he's got everything all, you know, sharp and everything else, then he likes himself too much. He likes himself too much. So that's what the Gemara says. The Gemara says that the rooster, rooster likes itself too much, and that's why if you cut that part of the head, you cut away its beauty, it no longer wants to be intimate. It's very dangerous. Very dangerous. Okay, exactly, exactly. All right, we're almost finished. We're long shiur, we're almost finished. Um, modesty for a man also includes when they're even in the bathroom. A person should never speak even while relieving himself. Like a lot of these guys like to talk when they're in the bathroom. Now let's talk when they're in the bathroom. Even if there's great need, just as he conducts himself with modesty while in the lantern by day, he should also do so at night. I'm obviously skipping through it because we're about out of time, but. We just got to cover the basics just to get by. Just to get by of some basic level of chovah, of obligation, so we're no longer uh, acting like animals. Allowed to shave? No. If you're talking. It's very limited. Now, if it becomes a, becomes a uh, part of your day to day life and uh, you're. Uh, it's limited, limited. Yes, there's buzzing. It's one thing, but most people don't buzz, especially if they work out. They want to look like they're bodybuilders. It's not allowed. Um, we passed this already. Modesty. Okay, a man is, is forbidden to engage in relations by candlelight, meaning he's forbidden for a Jew to engage in relations during the day for this brazen conduct. For this is brazen conduct. If he's a Torah scholar who will not be drawn to continue such conduct, he may create darkness with his garment or engage in relations. Meaning, ideally, what you're supposed to do is supposed to be a dark room. And the reason why is because different people have different things on their body and Hashem wants to protect the marriage. And sometimes people have a certain nature that if they see something that's unattractive on the opposite, uh, on, on their spouse, they can become disgusted by them. And that could ruin the marriage even though it's something silly. Like I know one marriage in particular that got broken up because the husband decided one day that he doesn't like his wife's feet. This is obviously stupid, but the point being is that there's chokhmah to what the Chazal says here. So the dark, having a dark room, there's a reason for it. If you have a certain skin tag, or you have a dark spot, or whatever this, there's a reason why it's supposed to be dark, and why it says that you're not supposed to be intimate during the day. But if the person knows some Torah, 
and they're not going to continue doing it during the day, and there's some great need, he's overly aroused or something like that, and, and he's scared of sinning, then he's allowed to do it during the day, so long as he covers and creates darkness, shuts off the light, covers, and so on and so forth, and also does not make this a habit. Does not make this a habit. Our sages do not derive satisfaction from a person who engages in sexual relations excessively and frequents his wife like a rooster. This reflects a very blemished character. Some of these men have a just a uh, addiction, an addiction. This is actually this is not showing that you love your wife more. This is showing that you have a blemish in your character. There's something wrong. Now you're allowed to be with your wife. It's not saying you're not allowed. It just says you have to do tshuva for some character flaws you have. This. It is the way underdeveloped people conduct themselves. Instead, everyone who minimizes sexual conduct is praiseworthy, provided he does not neglect his conjugal duties without the consent of his wife. Meaning, according to the ketubah that a husband signs with his wife, he is obligated to be intimate with her whenever she says. Not the opposite like most people think. She doesn't have to be with you ever. She doesn't have, the wife does not have to be with the husband ever. It's nice if she does, but she's not obligated. The obligation is on the man. Meaning that even if the man has to go to Shiul Torah, and she says, no, I want you to be with me, he has to stay home. He's obligated. There's a mitzvah in his hand, he has obligated to do it. If she's a good woman and normal, then she won't do such a thing, unless it's our day of mikveh, which I explained to you guys yesterday. If it's a day of mikveh, you're not allowed to even go learn or teach Torah. You have to be with your wife. Um, the sole reason why it's originally ordained that a man who had a seminal omission should not read from the Torah until he immerses himself was to minimize sexual conduct. In the old days, at the time of Ezra, they used to have the mitzvah that every time you were intimate with your wife, you had to go to the mikveh. But then Ezra Sofer saw that this is not possible. People are not keeping this law, so they removed this law. So Chachamim asked, what, you remove the law from the Torah? It says specifically from the Torah, don't take anything away. It says, no, no, this is something we added as a chumrah in order to help people become more righteous by minimizing their intimacy. Because if every single time you're intimate with your wife, you have to go get a mikveh, you're going to meet with your wife a little less times. Because you want to intimate, mikveh, learn Torah. And you can't learn Torah until you go to the mikveh. But once we saw the generations deteriorating, he saw it, and Ezra saw that the generations are de- deteriorating, and either people are learning regardless of going, uh, not going to the mikveh, or they're just not going to the mikveh, and they're not fulfilling the mitzvah, I said, okay, forget it, it's not for us. You don't have to go to the mikveh, but after you are intimate with your wife, you must wash the area, take a shower before you learn Torah. You must, you cannot keep the seed on your body, it's considered the same thing. Once it's left your body, if there's anything left, all the things that are left on the body, but this is the reality, you must wash your body because it's considered the same thing as filth. Same thing as filth. Feces. Um, next. Our sages forbid man from engaging in relations with his wife while his heart is focused on another woman. It's amazing to me how clear this is. How clear this is of how despicable it is for a man to even imagine another woman when he's intimate with his wife. The fact that he's thinking about another woman 
while he's married to a woman, is already despicable to begin with. But unfortunately, it's the Yitzhah. But some people get so glued to the Yitzhah. Instead of getting glued to Hashem, they get glued to the Yitzhah, that they think about another woman while they're with their wife. This is nothing new. That's what is Allah Lacha for it. He says, it's forbidden for you to think about another woman. So all these people say, no, no, I need to watch a movie. I need to watch a picture. I need to think of this. I need to think of that. It's forbidden. It's against the law. It's just like eating pig. It's the same thing as eating pig. It's no different. Same thing as eating on Yom Kippur. Same thing. He should not engage in relations while intoxicated. All these people, they, oh, let's have, a, let's have a few drinks. A few drinks. No, you're not allowed to be drunk. You're not allowed to be drunk. This is, this is the way of animals. You want to have a drink, and just uh, the chayim, it's one thing. But drunk, not to be drunk and then be intimate. Why? You're supposed to know what's going on. If you're treating like a mitzvah, you're supposed to be there. Not like wake up three days later, what happened? <laughs> oh, you're still here? Yeah, I'm your wife, buddy. I'm not going anywhere. You should not engage in relations while intoxicated, nor while quarreling. Meaning, if you guys just got into a fight, unless you made peace, you're not allowed to be intimate. Nor out of hatred. Some people are apparently psychotic. They hate each other, but they still want to be intimate. You should not engage in relations with her against her will when she's afraid of him. Unfortunately, this is very, very common. Today, in these horrible marriages, the guy gets to a point where he scares his wife to death and she feels like she's obligated to be there. Nor will one of them is placed under a ban of ostracism if one of his own cherem, if the keilah, which doesn't really happen today because everybody's scared, the rabbis are scared of the keilah today. Mm-hmm. The, the, uh, the rabbis are like dogs today. They look at the, like a dog walks around then he looks back at the keilah. Oh, you guys want me to go? Okay, and he keeps going. He asked permission from the Keilah. So there's no cherem today anymore. But in the days they used to be, if somebody was put on cherem, he's even not allowed to be with his wife. He's even cherem, not only with the Keilah, even at home. It's on cherem. He should not engage in relations with his wife after he made a decision to divorce her. Once they're divorced, they're not allowed to be together. Even if it's not official yet, even if there's no get yet, they decide, I'm leaving, that's it, finished. Oh, one time? No, no, no one time, no half time, no nothing. Finished. She's no longer your wife and not allowed to touch her. Oh, what if it's going to make me want to marry her again? No, it's not. It's going to create fake love for a little bit longer. Fake love for a little bit longer. If he does so, the children will not be of proper character. If he does any of these things I just mentioned, the kids that come out of it are not going to be proper character. That's why you see sometimes the kids are troublemaker. It's not a coincidence. That's why you see these kids are uh, thieves, liars, cheap, stingy, have terrible midot. They just came to the world pure. How could they have automatically terrible midot? How come they're cheap already? They don't even know what money is. How? Ah, it's because their parents violated the Torah. And there are certain signs that you violated the Torah through your kids. There will be those who are brazen and others who are rebellious and sinful. It's forbidden for men to engage in relations in public, in marketplaces, in streets, in gardens, in orchards, and so on. All of this movie-type mentality is completely 100% forbidden in the Torah. A Jewish woman should never walk around in a marketplace or outside with uncovered hair. 
And this applies to both unmarried and married women. That's actually what the Rambam specifically held on to, that a woman, regardless of married or not, has to cover her hair with a mitpachat. The Shulchan Aruch does not posek the halacha. We posek that it's only married women, but there are some, like my friend Rabbi Botan, that holds by the Rambam, and even his daughters that are 15 years old, 14 years old, and even I think one of them is like nine, they uh, cover their hair already. But we're not Muslim. It's forbidden to release sperm wastefully. Therefore, a person should not enter his wife and ejaculate outside of her. A man should not marry a minor who's not fit to give birth. We're not like Muslim, obviously. That's one of the rules specifically for you. He said, well, Muslims. We're not Muslim because Muslims marry little three-year-olds. They marry whoever's gonna, whoever moves. We're not allowed to. Those, however, who commit adultery with their hands and release sperm commit a great transgression. In addition, a person who does this will abide under a ban of ostracism. In reality, if you know somebody that's waste seed, you put them on cherem. Concerning them, it is written, your hands are filled with blood. This is in Genesis. It is as if they killed a person. Some people go against me because of the wasting seed lectures we've made because I say it's murder. Like I made it up. Like I, like Hashem wrote Torah. He said, Yaron, what do you think about this verse? Nah, nah, Hashem, I think you fixed this one. It's murder. That's what Allah is. It's murder. To waste seed is murder. Just like a person kills another person, uh, the Arab kills uh, another person with a knife, with a gun, with a bomb, with a kite, with a whatever. That's murder. So is wasting seed. So is wasting seed. It's 100% murder. Yeah, but it's not a baby yet. Torah says it's murder. You want to go fight? Go fight with Hashem. You have a problem with Hashem, not me. I, I just wrote you Alakha. Vekeilu arag nefesh. It's like he murdered a person. Killed a person. It's forbidden for a person to intentionally cause himself to even have an erection. And bring himself to sexual thoughts. If a sexual thought comes to his mind, he should divert his heart from profligate and destructive matters to the words of Torah. He should start saying, Shema Yisrael, Shema Yisrael, Shema Yisrael. Start thinking about Torah to get these negative thoughts out of his mind. So it eliminates all those sexual thoughts and the erection that he has. Because that by itself is a sin. To do it intentionally. If you woke up that way, it's a different story. But we're talking about intentionally. It's forbidden for a person to sleep on his back with his face upward, to such an extent that the Shulchan Aruch says, if you see a male, your son, your father, anyone, your friend, sleeping on their back, you're obligated to wake them up. Obligated. Not it's nice, it's good. You're obligated to wake them up. Why? Because when a man sleeps on his back, he's much more likely to waste seed and commit murder. Yeah, but it's not on purpose. It's still murder. It's still murder. It's not on purpose. Yeah, it's not on purpose that he ran into the person and, and killed them with the car. It's not on purpose. But it's still da- you still killed them though. It's still damage there. Now if you witnessed him sleeping on his back in your dorm room or it's, uh, in the couch or in your house, your guest is there. You see them sleeping on your back, you have to wake them up. Hey, buddy, get up. Why? What's happened? Well, something happened? No, nothing happened. Sleep on your side. Why? It says in the Torah. It says in the Torah. Similarly, it's forbidden for a man to look at a woman while, they're, while they do laundry. This is in those days when she's not his wife. They used to do laundry in the streets. It's even forbidden to look 
at the colored garments of a woman, one knows if she's not his wife, he's not even allowed to look at her clothes. Like women hang their clothes outside. Not allowed to. Why? Because that will motivate him to have sexual thoughts about a woman that's not his wife. When a person encounters a woman in the street, it's forbidden for him to walk behind her. It's not your wife, you're not allowed to walk behind her. What do you do? Instead, he should hurry and position himself so that he's, inside by, uh, he's on her side or she's behind him. Whoever walks behind the woman in the marketplace is one of the frivolous of the common people. It's forbidden to pass the entrance of a harlot without distancing oneself four cubits. We learn this from Proverbs, do not come close to the entrance of a home. Al-Khan number 23, we're nearly done. It's forbidden for an unmarried man to extend his hand to his private parts. Lest he be stimulated with sexual thoughts. Indeed, he should not extend his hand below his navel. Lest he be stimulated to sexual thoughts. Even if he urinates, he should not hold on to the shaft of his organ while urinating. If he's married, on the other hand, this is permitted. Whether he's married or not, he should not extend his hand to his organ at all, except when he has to urinate. The Hasidim don't even do that. When someone's a real Hasid, they don't even touch their organ even when they're urinating. They have special underwear where they don't even touch their organ that way. Like Rabbi Kadosh, Rabbi Udanasi, uh, said it in the Gemara that throughout all of his life he never even saw his organ. Never even saw it. That's why he was called Rabbi Kadosh. One of the pious men of early eras and the wise men of stature prided himself that he never looked. Oh, there you go. Never looked at his male organ. Among our sages, commands that a person should marry off his sons and daughters close to the time that they reach physical maturity. For were he to leave them unmarried, they are motivated to promiscuity or sexual thoughts. All of these parents that are just outright stupid and want their kids to stay single so they can date into their 20s like the average people in today's awful society, just know you're making a sin against the Torah. You're not allowed to intentionally keep your kids single. You're not allowed. You're supposed to get them get married as soon as possible once they reach maturity. And the reason why is because it becomes more and more difficult for both men and women to stay sinless when it comes to alayot, when it comes to sexual crimes, as they get older. When it comes to the man, as soon as he identifies what pleasure comes out of that organ and so on, it could easily, unless he learns serious musar on a daily basis, he could easily become addicted to it. Not just sold to it, addicted to it. And the Rambam posek that is the biggest addiction in human nature. The biggest addiction in human nature is wasting seed for a man. A woman, on the other hand, if she is not going to get married, she's going to see her friends get married. She's going to see the world around her. She's going to be, want affection and relationship from somebody. And that other party is going to want more than just her good looks and her eyes and our conversation. Meaning that peer pressure and uh, the need for attention and so on can lead her to sin. She doesn't have the same physical need to waste seed like a man. But she does have the need for attention and so on. And therefore that can lead her to promiscuity. But you should know that the Ben Ishchai writes that it's also forbidden for a woman to, to, uh, to uh, masturbate. And the reason why is because just like a man, every time he actually wastes seed, he's creating demons, so does the woman. 
the woman is also creating demons. So if she's having night terrors, or she's having this sleep, uh, this sleep, uh, uh, um, what? Sleep paralysis. That's part of the reason. That's part of the reason. Usually, the sleep paralysis is connecting to arayot. It's connected to sex crimes. So here we understand that a person needs to know that when the Chachamim told us that love in the mind of a secular person is karet for a religious Jew, they weren't insulting the secular people. They were simply stating fact. They were simply stating fact. In order for a Jew to be a kosher Jew, they need to understand that it requires work. A lot of work. A lot of mesirut nefesh. Because if they're going to think that they could achieve the ultimate level of connection to Hashem and love 